Fill her up. You're listening to the Gas Digital Network. What up, what up, what up, podcast party people? How you doing? How you living? How you feeling? Me, myself, I'm a little tired right now. I don't know why. I'm not sure why. I worked out. I should be all energized. But I'm a little groggy. Worn out, man. You know, sometimes life just leaves you like that. It's a little worn out. I think we're waking up every fucking night for like three hours. Can't get back to sleep. I'm like, motherfucker. You're a motherfucker. I drink my tea before I go to bed. I got this like sleep tea, but like, I don't know if it really works. I don't know if it helps. I don't think it does. I think it's like the type of thing where it's a place, it's a nice placebo, but that's about it. But it, I put this calm shit in it sometimes. Whoa, what's going on here? I got a little prompt on my podcast here. What's this? What is that? Okay, I don't need that. Yeah, just go back to here. Yeah, I don't need any of that. Yeah, what? Exit. Exit, motherfucker. Exit. Yes. Boom. There we go. Back to my time. I must have hit the button or something. Uh, we got a great podcast for you, man. I tell you what. Billy Grazia Day. The Italian. He makes the artichoke hand. Grazia Day. From Biohazard. It was a good one. It was funny and, you know, pretty meaningful and deep and. You know, it chronicles the ups and downs of being in a band, and that was really great. I'm super glad that he came on the podcast. Super stoked. It's been, uh, let's see, I'm just about done with Game of Thrones. Me and my son Wyatt have talked about this a couple times now. We've been watching, we've been re-watching Game of Thrones. I'm reading the Game of Thrones book. I'm re-watching Game of Thrones I'm reading, I'm reading the Game of Thrones book on my iPad, by the way. That's how I read books. I'm going to read it on my iPad, which I love. I'm never reading a book again. Like a hardcover book. Ugh. Such a pain. My wife reading next to me. has got the fucking bright-ass light and fucking you got to hook it on. The fucking... I'm just like, fuck this shit. iPad, bro. Anyway, uh, fuck that series is so good, man. And we're in the last two episodes... I talked to Craig LeCicero yesterday for three and a half hours. My throat's like. (laughs) Um, But such a good show. God, it's so much good stuff. And shit that this is my fourth time I watched it. We watched Ginevra and I watched it twice. And then we watched it again with our oldest son when he was like a few years back. And now we're watching it with our youngest son. And, uh. Oh, it's just such a good show, man. So many good things. So many, even like four times in, we're still catching like 
little details that we missed the first couple times around and, you know, storylines. And, you know, it's just, it, especially because we watched it in real time. So when the seasons were, you know, you'd watch a season and then you'd get to the end of the season and then you'd have to wait a year for the fucking next ep- for the next season to start. Now we're just watching it all in one. And in some ways it makes it flow better, you know, and it flows surprisingly good, you know, considering there was all that time. I think it, the show ran for eight years. And, uh, and I can tell you the series is a lot different than the book. You know, it's a lot like right now in the book, I'm reading a section and it's taking, I just, I can't wait till this chapter wraps up because it's going on for fucking ever. And it's literally nothing in the book and it's so boring. Like nothing's happened, like nothing is happening. And, uh, and I could see why they admitted that. Like they omitted that when they made the series. Like this is fucking boring. Like this is the it was just it's literally just dragging on and on and on. And uh, you know I never say this. I almost always think that a movie is better than a book. You know you get so many more details. But I think because it was just such a popular show, and they made eight seasons. They just they had to fill in space. They had to add storyline they had to add character development that they didn't have enough room for in the book which is crazy because it's always the opposite of that right like the book always has all this character and the movie is just like you know i can think of uh you know with the da vinci code the da vinci code book was fucking mind-blowing such an amazing book the movie was really disappointing i mean they did a they did as good a job as they could in the constructs of whatever two two and a half hours or three hours but this is different you know because it's a series it's a lot more time and uh yeah i highly recommend it if you've never done it we're just finishing it with the last two episodes we're going to catch probably tonight and tomorrow will be the last two episodes we'll get through it and be like all right but uh yeah it's crazy and i i gotta say like i just fucking love there's so many great characters in this in that show. You know, Tormund Giantsbane and Brienne of Tarth and like I swear to God, I'm shocked that the only person who's really broken out of the show was Khal Drogo, who is uh Jason Momoa, you know, Aquaman. Like he's the only dude. He's really the only dude who's gone on to like have like a great success. And there's so many fantastic you know, Cersei Lannister and Jamie Lannister and Tyrion Lannister and, you know, even Lord Baelish and Sansa and Arya, like all these, f- Jon Snow, like, f- you know, great actors and actresses that, you know, maybe they were just burned out after fucking Game of Thrones or maybe people just can't, you know, sometimes when an actor becomes so famous, uh, a Jon Snow, a Tyrion Lannister, you know, a seriously, you know, even like uh, Joffrey Baratheon, who, you know, doesn't, he's not in all of the se- seasons, but, you know, people just, you know, they fucking hate them or they love, you know, like that they can't get that image of the actor or the actress out of their head. And uh, I think sometimes uh, like movie companies are like that or series is like that where they just, I, th- I think Tyrion's in a couple of movies. I haven't, or a couple of series. I haven't seen Jon Snow in anything. I haven't seen Daenerys Targaryen in anything, you know, and she was fucking, God, 
first three seasons of the fucking show, she's just naked. Oh, just these fucking perfect tits, and she's just fucking naked every episode. <laughs> like, it's fucking great. It's so much violence and sex and just fucking treachery and just, you know, fantasy and dragons and... It's fucking White Walker. Oh, it's, it's so good. Like, I fucking, I love it. Like, I love it. And uh, it's cool to watch it with your family. It's cool to watch it with my kids, like, both times to, like, because we know what's coming up. Ginevra and I know, like, big scenes coming up. But, you know, to, like, watch, you know, the ep- I'm not even going to go into any spoilers if you've never seen it, but we just watched the third episode of the last season, which is like a fucking jaw dropper. You're like, oh my God. And to watch to turn around, like both of us, we were barely even watching the show. Like we just were basically watching our son because we knew it was going to come. And we looked at him. He was like, oh my God. <laughs> it was just like, oh, you're like, holy shit. We're like, right. It was so fucking crazy. And uh, yeah, fucking just those little moments are killer. They're killer. You got to hold on to those little moments, man. We, uh, man, what a rough fucking, what a horrible week for abortion rights. I feel, I feel, uh, I am very empathetic to the ladies of North America who, we just found out that the Supreme Court documents were leaked that said that they are getting ready to overturn Roe versus Wade, which is the woman's legal right to get an abortion in America. And uh, that's been going up for five decades has been the case, but we've got a bunch of fucking wacko shithead Christians up in the Supreme Court with one of our Supreme Court justices. His wife literally wanted to overthrow the government. And and yet somehow they just stay there because apparently once you become a Supreme Court, like you're basically unfuckwithable. And that goes for, I guess, congressmen and women, too, especially Republicans who can just break the law at will and face zero consequences. But, uh, you know, we've reached this point here where, you know, it got leaked. It, it is authentic and they are planning on turning it over. But, you know, it's not supposed to be leaked. And <clears throat> women are up in arms in this country, like flipping the fuck out. And rightfully so. People should be fucking genuinely furious. And, uh, you know, there's no rights that say a man's got to get force a man to get a vasectomy if it gets a chick pregnant, you know, or force him to get sterilized, you know, but women got to carry it to term and then nobody cares. So, uh, yeah, it's fucking getting crazy here. It's getting really crazy. Like really, really like when, when, when the judicial system goes, you know, I watch, I read, I read, I read a lot of history and I watch a lot of history, you know, when the judicial system starts to fall apart, that's usually when a country is in decline. You know, when the judicial system can't honor the laws because of partisan politics or whatever the case, that's when shit really starts to go haywire. So, you know, these guys, some of the, some of these people that came on the court, you know, they came on in the eighties, you know, in the nineties, fucking three decades ago, swearing up and down that they would never roll back Roe versus Wade. And now here they are. And, uh, a woman's right to have an abortion, making it illegal for women to have abortion. And it's not going to stop abortion. 
you know, just so we're clear on that, like women are still going to get abortions. Like chicks just aren't going to fucking raise kids, like especially if dudes bounce because fucking dudes are deadbeat dads and bounce all the fucking time. You know, fuck a girl, get her pregnant, and then they're just like, late. Yeah, dudes are going to bounce and, you know, chicks are going to go get an abortion. They're just going to get it illegally. They're going to go to another state. They're going to go to another county. They're going to go to another country if they have to. That's what used to have to happen. You know, I went to the Women's March uh, back when all of this first started happening last year. And, you know, listen to all these ladies speak. And there was so many older ladies, you know. And these, and I say older ladies, like they're not they're not that old, you know. 65 years old. A 65-year-old lady gets raped and she tries to go get an abortion and she lives in a state where you can't. And, you know, she has to go fly to fucking California or some other state to get it done. And it's all, you know, back alley stuff. And it was pretty rough, man. And, you know, getting this stuff taken away that was enshrined in the 70s into the Constitution. It's you you don't go backwards. You don't, man. And, uh, yeah, that's where we are. That's where we are today. So, uh, you know, my hearts go out to all the ladies. You know, I will stand alongside you. I will march alongside you. I will protest alongside you because I believe in your right to have a safe and legal abortion. And uh, I'm probably not going to post about it on social media because I find that posting on social media doesn't really do anything nowadays just kind of goes into the vacuum of the internet and it might feel better, but it doesn't really make any change. And, uh, you know, maybe other than bring awareness to it, which, you know, I think everybody's pretty aware of it at this point. So anyway, I don't want to get off on a whole tangent about that stuff. I do want to get back to Billy from biohazard being on the show. You know, I do want to get back to uh, if you're listening, if you're a big fan of the happy hours that we do. Well, this Friday coming up this Friday, May, whatever it is, fifth, sixth, it's going to be electric rappy hour. That's right. Electric rappy hour going to be happening. Going to jam some rage against the machine, going to jam some biohazard. Gonna jam some Lincoln Park. Gonna jam some of the more rapish songs in the Machine Head catalog. Thousand Lies, Triple Beam, uh, From This Day. Mixing it up, just having a good time, just fucking around with some, you know, trying to make every show a little bit different every week. Different. Um, if you're a big fan of those of the Happy Hours too, I just want to let you know. Um, as the record gets closer, we have a new record dropping August 26th of Kingdom and Crown. Head over to 10 Ton Trading Co., 10 Ton Trading Company.com, and uh, you can pre order vinyl and long box CDs and digipacks with bonus tracks and box sets and flags and shirts and merchandise and hoodies and all kinds of stuff. We got some, tons of shit over there. But, uh, yeah, if you head over there, we got that coming up. And as it gets a little closer, as we get closer to the release, we are going to wind down on the happy hours. 
We're going to, unfortunately, I know it's been great throughout the whole pandemic for two years. Two years we did the happy hours. Started out as acoustic happy hours and then eventually went into electric happy hours. And, um, you know, we're finding, what we're going to do is, uh, we're finding that Facebook, we started out broadcasting only on Facebook, and it always started off at 500 or so and then dropped down to 250. Or it started at 1,000 and dropped down to 500. Um, somewhere about a year ago, we started doing it on Twitch, Facebook, and YouTube. And to our surprise, the Twitch numbers and the YouTube numbers, as the show went on, consistently went up. They never went down. You know, Maybe at the very ass end of it, they'd go down a little bit. But it's never been the drop that Facebook has been. And... Uh, What we're finding now is that there's a big spike right at the beginning of the Facebook Live when when we go live for happy hour. But then within like four or five songs, it's down to half. And then by the end, it's down to like, just like 100 people. And so what we're going to start doing is it's just we're going to give Facebook first couple few songs. uh, And then if you want to continue watching, head over to the Twitch channel, head over to YouTube, and you can continue to watch it there. But from now on, Facebook is just getting the first few songs. Um, as we go on tour, and obviously we won't be able to do Electric Happy Hours anymore because we'll be doing live performances, actual live performances, we're going to give a little bit of a teaser on Facebook, one or two songs, a little bit of a teaser on YouTube, and then head over to the Twitch channel, which is my Twitch channel, Rob Flynn, twitch.tv slash Rob Flynn, for a subscriber-only full broadcast, where it'll be the full broadcast of the show. But we'll give you the first couple of songs on YouTube. We'll give you the first couple of songs on uh, Facebook. But if you want to watch the whole show on a regular basis, maybe once a week, maybe twice a week, depending on what's going on, uh, yeah, head over. And the subs only, subs only. We'll be able to watch that shit. So, uh, yeah, that's the kind of plan moving forward. So start preparing to not see. I'm going to have to do press coming up here in June. Press for the record. So we're going to have to take a couple of weeks off for that. You know, so it's going to get more and more sporadic with the happy hours. But uh, if you've been a longtime follower of the happy hours, thank you for tuning in for this last couple of years. They've been awesome. And I definitely foresee us continuing them when we're off the road. I definitely foresee Jared and I because they're fun and we love them and we love playing them and we love interacting with you guys in this manner. It's very, very cool. Um, So, yeah, of Kingdom and Crown, August 26th. Go check out the video for Choke on the Ashes of Your Hate. If you have not done that yet, head over to 10tontradingcompany.com and check out some of the sick merchandise and physical formats that we've got over there. And uh, let's play some Biohazard for all of those unfamiliar with Biohazard. You got to play, you got to play, let's see, Shades of Grey right here. Total banger. From the album Urban Discipline. present and past. Who 
That groove is hard, bro. That groove is hard. That song's called Shades of Grey. I'm going to say, I got to play something on the other. They're very, for some reason, their debut album is not on uh, Spotify. It's only on Apple, so I got to go to the head. I'm going to play this song. This is the first Biohazard song I ever hear or that I can remember hitting me. It's called Victory. This is a fucking jam right here. Whoa, loud. Losing battle, existence I abhor. pause it to go back to fortunately have to pause it to go back to Spotify this is black and white and red all over Tales from the Hard Side. Back then, everybody had to have... Everybody had to have a, a fucking... A, a movie intro. Like, everybody. That was it. You had to have a movie intro. Tales from the Hard Side. But if you didn't know, Billy Bio, Billy Grazia Day, also did numerous other projects, including a project with Sendog from Cypress Hill called Power Flow. This is the track off of their album. This song's called Resistance, number one track from on Spotify for them. Cool intro. Groove, right? It's a cool jam right there. It's cool in the headphones too when I'm listening on headphones. So this is, and then it gets heavy.
then he also has a solo album out right now called Leaders and Liars. This is one of the songs off of it, popular song, One Life to Live. more melodic than biohazard which i dig but billy's got a good voice for this this is a song called turn the wounds kind of a typo negative vibe and he grew up with peter Steele, so not surprising But I'd say what, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to get into it here with the mighty, mighty, mighty Billy Grazia Day from Biohazard. Billy Grazia Day. Billy Bio. What's up? How you doing, man? I'm doing good, man. Thanks for having me, bud. It's awesome to see you. It's been way too long. I know. It's awesome to see you, too. It's been a... I can't even, I was trying to think when the last time that I actually saw you or was around you, I want to say I, we ran into each other in LA in front of the Fonda theater at one point. Yeah. You were doing acoustic. You were doing a, Oh, is that what that was? Okay. No, we, no, we saw Gorilla Biscuits. No burn some, some, uh, whoosh. Yeah. We saw somebody. Yes. It was a, um, it was like one of the post-punk bands. Yeah. Not Gorilla Biscuits. Uh, no. It, uh, what's his name? Um, yeah, <laughs> it's the band that the Deftones bass player came from. Yeah, it's uh, Jesus Christ, and he's no longer in the band anymore. <laughs> it was anyway. Oh. That was the last time we, yeah, I think yeah. we saw each other. Yeah, quicksand. That's what quicksand. It was. Yes. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Yeah. Now you've been good. Yeah, it, you uh, know how it is. New records, and all you do is talk to people on zoom. It's like, you think that your record's going to come out after mass mandates are over and you're like, oh, cool. We could do in-person interviews over beers and hanging out. And right. it doesn't, doesn't happen. No, everybody's just like, I'm doing it on zoom. <laughs> like, I don't really, exactly. want, to With the never really want to talk to you. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I saw you, uh, you're a black belt now, huh? In jujitsu. Yeah. For quite a few years now. That's fucking awesome, dude. That's killer. I mean, that's, that's, that's from the, yeah, I think you guys were just starting with that, the Gracie kid when we were doing the Slayer tour back in 95, right? I can't yeah. remember his name. Yeah. That was Kazeka. <laughs> yes. That kid. Um, so yeah, we met this kid. First UFC happened in 93. We searched around all New York for trying to find somebody that could teach us Gracie Jiu-Jitsu. There was nobody on the East coast through Vinny Stigma's sister. 
Um, they were a big Wing Chun family. I don't, not many people know this, but Vinny Stigma, besides his, his awesome career as a comedian <laughs> and a great guitar player, he's a Wing Chun expert. But his oh, sister wow. um, introduces this kid. We took him on that tour with us and Slayer and you guys. What was his name? Kaseka Muniz. Kaseka, that's right. Yeah. Bro, but remember they fought? There was a couple guys in the Slayer crew that they would, we had these little like UFC matches. Remember right. that? Right. And uh, so, but this, that kid, I don't know if I ever told you this. He turned out, he told us he was, if you guys, anybody's a fan of Grace Jiu Jitsu, it's a real funny story. But he, the father, the, the godfather of Grace Jiu Jitsu, Elio Gracie, um, this kid said that his mother was his sister. So he had a different last name. We were like, and New Yorkers, we don't believe anybody. We don't trust no one. But this kid, because we were so excited to train this new style of martial art, at least new to us, we hung on every word he said. And it was awesome. Right. And then we found out it was all bullshit. This no kid. Shit. It was so fucking bullshit. One day I went to, uh, we did a record in LA and I went to Hicks and Gracie's studio and I walk in wearing this t-shirt and the, his, one of his black belts, it was a brown belt at the time. And he said to me, Hey, my friend, where did you get that t-shirt? I'm like, that's my friend Kazeka. That's Kazeka, that motherfucker. He stole my fucking brown belt. I'm oh like, my God. <laughs> it, this opened up such a can of worms, bro. Anyways. So that was my beginning of jujitsu 30 years ago. How does he, how does, how does he steal somebody's, what does that even mean? He stole his brown belt. Yeah, bro. Uh, he, he, this kid, and he's like a legit world champion now, but at the beginning of his career, he just wandered around. He, you know, we all have crazy pasts and, and, you know, whatever the, our stories are, but he was just in a, a rough place. I think coming up, he grew up in Ven Venezuela, not Brazil. So he wasn't even, he didn't even speak Portuguese, he spoke Spanish. But he knew enough Portuguese to fool us and it'd be like, you know, anyways, it's so far removed from rock and roll and metal and what we, we, we both do in our lives. It's just a part of my life that uh, always kind of kept me grounded for, for the most part. Yeah. No, that's awesome. It's a, it's a killer discipline. And I, I took it, I took jujitsu when I was like third grade to eighth grade and I yeah. loved it, man. I really, 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 I didn't know I that. Had, I had a awesome sensei his name was uh, wally j and he you know i was pretty introverted as a kid i was pretty quiet and he really just took me under his wing and just you know i'd get there 45 minutes before class i'd stay 45 minutes after like i was fucking obsessed with jujitsu dude and uh, and he would just spar with me he would just spar and he would just constantly be like you strong you strong like bull you know like and as a kid just hearing that over and over and over again you know you strong like bull like it was, it was just awesome. It really just gave me tons of confidence and, you know, like it was just, it was, it was already a pretty, I mean, I'm, I'm not sure how long a normal uh, jujitsu class is nowadays, but it was an hour and a half back then, which, you know, it's pretty long class. Especially for a kid with a ten, short attention span. You want to get back to gaming, you know? Right. And you know, it were was you playing like, guitar back then? No, it was before I played guitar. I mean, I was into music, Yeah. but I, but I wasn't playing I mean, I was sing I was singing just all the time, but I wasn't playing yeah, yeah. instruments. And uh, yeah, it was just it was so great, man. I really loved it, and I loved that. I like I like I loved the idea of it that it was more like defensive that you were always using your your enemies 
know, your opponent's weight against him or his moves against him. And, you know, that was always kind of a cool aspect to it that I thought. Was- yeah. The, the translation is actually the gentle art. And it, it basically, um, it's created for the smaller, um, not, you know, not non-athletic opponent to beat somebody who's more athletic, bigger, stronger, faster. And it's, it's all physics. It's chess. They say it's the PhD of all martial arts. It takes, <laughs> you know, forever to get a, a black belt, but that's, that's great, dude. I think it's important for every, every person coming up to have like a, a great positive role model, you know, and, and now we're both parents and we kind of try to do the same for our kids, but the, it's important. And, and I didn't have that as a kid. I wish I would have probably would have, you know, who knows? Right. Where well, I been. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. You didn't start jujitsu until you were like in your mid twenties or something. Right. No, it was, uh, yeah, well, uh, not early 20s, 20, yeah, early 20s. It was 1993. Yeah, it was probably, tw- it was beginning of Biohazard, probably 22. Right, right. And I would, the saying is, the most common saying, I think, in any martial arts studio is, oh, I wish I would have started when you started. I wish I would have started earlier. Same thing with music and guitar. I wish I would have started playing piano, uh, guitar first instead of piano. But piano is my main forte. That's my main instrument. Oh, and okay. I'm more prolific with piano than on guitar always has have been, but it's always like that. You kind of, you know, what a cutter should have. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, you know, in some ways, whatever you did, it, it it affects your life. You know, it takes you like whatever path you go down like that thing, you know, inspires you, influences you, you know, I mean, without piano, you might not be, have the musicality that you have now. hundred percent. I owe that to my mom. And today's her birthday, actually. Oh shit. Yep. Um, but yeah, she pushed me to play, study piano and I did the same thing with my kids, but it, it was as much as we rebel as little kids and you're like, I want to go out and play with my friends, blah, blah, blah. She forced me to do it. And she was really cool about it. She wasn't like, you know, my father was like a disciplinary, but, and then, um, and then she passed when I was a kid and, and that turned into like this great, awesome foundation that, like you said, it led to my love, not my love for music, but it was the foundation that I built everything off of. Then I found punk rock and hardcore and, and realized you can just learn two or three chords and you can make a whole career out of it. <laughs> right. like, I'm learning all these notes on piano. What the hell am I doing here? You know, wait, it's a lot easier. I got, dude, I had teachers. The first teacher, um, they were at Mr. and Mrs. Cooper. You stayed with the wife until you got to a certain level and then you went to the husband. She okay. would hit me in the back of the hand every time that I, I messed up. And she was and you this day, you, know, you forget about it. You can't do that at all. Right, right. But she would smack me in the back of the hand if I made a mistake. And then I, I got to a point where I graduated to the husband. And I was like, cool. Now I'm like bigly. I can hang out with the, the dude. This dude fucking, he's up leveled it to fucking, he kicked me in the back of the head when oh I fucked God. up. <laughs> and she, she was like, if you miss a note, you're getting smacked in the back of the head. <laughs> And he would, they were mad old school people. And they were just like, what are you wasting your parents' money for? You know how hard they work for your money. Now as a, a parent, I understand. Right. But back then they were just looking out for my parents' buck. You know, they knew they were paying top dollar to get these lessons. And, uh, and the, you know, the guy, and eventually I stopped with them and my grandfather and uncle were accomplished jazz and classical pianists. And they took me under their wing oh. and taught me like improvisation and completely changed my world. Oh, wow. That's super cool. So yeah, your grandparents, your grandfather, is that what you said? Yeah. 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 Was a classically trained pianist. Yeah. And jazz, phenomenal player. And wow. he used to, he's actually a recording artist. 
I have like old back in the back in his day, they would um they would rent out a studio and they would play live and it would go right to vinyl. Right. And they would oh, wow. they'd pay a lot of money and, and I have a whole box of these vinyls. And there was this one, you know, I listened to them all and they were awesome, but the there's this one unique vinyl that stuck out and they must have I don't know, I mean, they didn't have much money. They were working class. Um, but they played, they were playing cards. So it was, it must've been my, my grandfather, my grandmother, and maybe an, another couple. And I don't know who that was, but they were playing cards and they, for some, some reason, and I don't, maybe they got a deal, but they recorded this conversation with them playing cards. And I remember hearing my grandfather, I was a little kid. And I remember hearing my grandfather say to my grandmother after he passed, he said, uh, she's made a joke. Like, um, I don't know what, what should I do? And he, and he said back was more innocent, but he said, uh, um, I don't know. I'll, I'll tell you what I'll do to you. <laughs> Which, you never see the, you know, we make jokes with our wives and our right, significant right. others, but to you see, hear your grandparents go back and forth because they're all like, they're the Kings and Queens of the family. Right. And they never kind of show, they have a sense of humor, but they never go that deep into their personality when you're like the grandkid. Certainly. Yeah, definitely not. You know, so it's kind of odd, you like know. innuendo. It's almost yeah. like you got you. It's almost like you got to hear like a podcast between your grandparents or something, right? Exactly, bro. It, yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's what it was. It was yeah. a podcast, a poker game podcast. That's pretty wild. Yeah, that's pretty wild. I think that's crazy to th- think about, like doing an album like that now. Like you've got to be so rehearsed and know your shit so good that you're going to go in and record it live to vinyl. You know, like not even live to tape where you could change your mind. It's right. live to vinyl. Yeah. You know? Like it's, th- that's the final thing that you're hearing right there. If it's on vinyl, that's the last stage. <laughs> like, right. I know that's, that's funny. funny. That reminds me of the story. Danny, um, Danny Shuler, biohazard drummer. He, yeah. him and I were partners in, in uh, recording studios for a year. Great dude. Um, and he, uh, there came a time in, uh, early 2000s when he's like, you know, I, I don't want to do this anymore. But, but this whole thing kind of turned as, uh, you know, we, of course we're still best friends, but as partners in a recording studio, he was in the studio one day and some kid said, um, it, it was a band that I was producing, but he was working a session. And the kid said, hey, um, I, that section's pretty cool. Just just um, copy it and paste it. And Danny turned around. I, I, my The assistant told me the story, but Danny turned around and said to the kid, Listen, motherfucker, I came from the old school where you had three chances to play your fucking song, right? You had to practice so much that you, two chances, pretty much. Right. Third, when you're re-recording re- over tape and the quality sucks. So I'm not going to copy and paste. Learn how you fucking play your instrument and play it right. And I, I took Dana aside. I'm like, bro, these young kids, it's, it's a change of times. It's digital. It's the way it is. You can't get like, goes, fuck that shit, man. And Danny's mad cool. And he was cool with the kid, but. He, he was done with it. And that was it. That was the last time we worked together on a project. And he, he soon after that, I bought him out of the studio and, and now he just uses his skill as a, just home recording and stuff. See, I, what I thought you were going to say was that he walked up and smacked him behind the head. <laughs> like, what the fuck? Yeah, that would have been a cool story. <laughs> I have a good memory, but when I get off into tangents, it, sometimes it gets a little clouded and Danny will call me up and say, that's not what happened. I'm like, yeah, it is. No, this is what happened. I'm like, oh yeah. You know, Funny. I don't know if it's the years of uh, drug abuse and being sober and straight for years and going back and forth or just 
I'm in my mid thirties. Did did you did you go back and forth though? I don't remember you really like. Did you have a, yeah. a later day drug era of Billy? Because you were pretty much sober through all like the the early years of Biohazard, right? Yeah, the uh, no, well, the early years. We it was like not many people know this, but there was there's we named fucking Biohazard smoking crack. It's fucking such a crazy story. <laughs> but we knew we were. I thought, I thought, didn't Peter Steele have something to do with helping name the band? Yeah, Pete. Pete suggested the name. We were we watched his band. Um, cause we were big carnivore fans and we went to go see them rehearse down the street from where we rehearsed in, in, in Brooklyn. We watched, we watched them rehearse and we were out hanging outside drinking beers and, and he's like, so, so what do you guys think? And we were like, it's kind of slow. You know, it's like really, they were called repulsion and we were like, what, you know, how are people going to move to it? So fun. It was like, you know, that band son, um, San AD. Yeah. It was the early repulsion was like that. Now some of those songs didn't make it on the record, but on uh, typo when they changed the name, but bro, it was so slow. It was looking back now, Pete's always was always an innovator. Carnivore was innovative. Everything he's doing with he even had a band called um I can't remember the name. It before Carnivore, but regardless. So he said to us, I don't know, maybe they'll uh just kill each other. <laughs> And you're like, fuck, this dude's fucking crazy. And Pete was always on something different. And they he stuck to his guns and, and repulsion became typo negative and they were fucking massive. But in those conversations during repulsion era of typo negative, we were we still hadn't had a name yet. It was right at the beginning of the biohazard. And he said, uh, he, he showed us Evan and I have this magazine, flipped it open. He said, that's what you guys got to go by. Don't use the name. I can't even speak that low. Don't use the name, but <laughs> just the logo, like Prince. That's what his concept was. And I was like, and looking back, and when Prince came out with that, I'm like, Pete fucking said that we should do that with Biohazard. We didn't go with it. My my old man was a scientist. I worked in his lab as a little kid. And the minute Pete pointed that out, in the back of my head, I'm like, Ooh, that's the shit. They right. make stickers already. We don't have to do anything. It's somebody right. you just order from a you know medical catalog. And then we were sitting around a table in Canarsie. It was Evan, Mio, our first drummer, and myself and a bunch of buddies. And somebody hands me a fucking stem and we have a list of names. I can't remember the other names. And Evan's like, so what are we going to, what are we going to go with? And I'm like. <sighs> this is you smoking crack. <laughs> yep. You're going to hit a crack. <laughs> I, I, I'm like, let's go with. Bio. Is Evan smoking crack with you at this point too? Yeah, bro. Yes. Evan, and then soon after that, Evan had a fucking heart attack and never went back to drugs. And I just talked to him recently. I don't want to get off of too many tangents, but that was the beginning. And I've only started talking about these, you know, they're not hit these hidden gems of my history. Pretty recent. And um, now that my kids, you know, they're able to surf the internet and my son will bring things up and talk to me and ask me questions like, did you Google me? Because <laughs> <Right. laughs> my, my you to watch out for is their friends Googling you. Yeah, <laughs> and then they tell your son everything. That's what's happened to me a bunch of times. I'm like, you little fuckers. I know. I know. <laughs> because you want to lead by example. We have to, you know, and I, I just, like my, they're at school, but my, my, anyways, you, it's almost, you got to be, you got to lie to them. Just keep as much away from them. Because you can't say to your kid, yeah, I fucking smoked weed. I did heroin. I fucking yeah. did everything. I right. smoked crack and my life changed. 
Right. Usually it's you smoke crack and you're, that, it's a yeah. downward spiral. My life got better after smoking crack, ironically. But soon after that, I got clean. And so we all sobered up. Bobby had a tough time. Um, and, and then over the years, when Bobby split, we split with Bobby. That's a whole other crazy story. And I don't want to open can of worms in case you have an agenda. Like we want to stick to a certain thing, but I have no, this, this can just go where, like, <laughs> I, you know, I mean, I've kind of got like things I want to talk to you about, but like wherever you want to go, like, I don't care. Yeah. yeah it's the history. I, I'm dying to talk about the new record, what I do now, but make a long story short. Yeah. The question was, have I gone back and forth? And yeah. We, I don't think when we toured together, we were drinking because we were, no, Danny and I, sober. Oh, everybody other than Bobby was sober. Yeah. But so Danny and I would like on the sly party, but okay. we didn't, we, we want to support Bobby because he had a, a drinking problem. Right. So we didn't want, we didn't party in front of him. Right. So we, I remember one time coming home and Danny and I went out, we come back to the bus and Bobby was sober, straight as an arrow. And I'm fucking wasted crawling on the fucking <laughs> crawling on the tour bus floor. And I remember he said to me, fucking lightweights. <laughs> <laughs> and he always resented the fact that I would spend 15 bucks and get lit. And, right. and, and I still had a pocket full of fucking money. He was always the mayor. He would go out and spend just drink oh, nonstop. Yes. And, and he also would buy everybody. Everybody drinks. drinks. And, and everybody he, drinks. That's why to this day, still this day, he's the most popular and well-loved Biohazard member. Yeah. Because he's, he, besides being a great dude, he, yeah. that was how he, he was the mayor. We always, but Danny, and I always called him the mayor, you know? Funny. So, and then when, so when we split with him, then we got back in and then it was, you know, back into drugs and alcohol again, and then sober and then back straight again and teeter back and forth. And it was always a struggle. Um, and then in the middle of the pandemic, um, I was, I had like maybe six, seven years, my wife every day, who's God lover, she's on her way home from Brazil right now. And I'm expecting her to walk in the door as soon as we get off the interview. But she said, uh, she's a huge partier, awesome PMA, positive woman. Um, you know how it is. We have, they say, every, every great man has a great woman standing behind them. But my wife likes to add smirking. She's, she's, there, she's like, yeah, she was on tour one time and she said, um, I'm, I, you know, after the show talking to everybody, you know, people by the bus and somebody was brought up something. Oh yeah. You do jujitsu guy. Blah, blah, blah. And we were in Germany somewhere and the kids were like, yeah, it's so awesome. What a great art. You're like a tough dude. You're kind of smaller in person than the pictures. But, and my wife goes, he's not that tough. Every night in bed, he's like, don't touch me with your cold feet. And I'm like, <laughs> I look at it. I'm like, can you go on the You're bus? Like, damn, you just threw me under the bus hella hard. <laughs> you fucking blew my spot up. These kids are like praising me. You're not me. And the kids are looking at her like, who's that? I'm like, it, it's somebody hanging out. <laughs> so Security. back and forth. Sorry. Yeah. Security. Security. <laughs> Get her out of here. Yeah. So um every day during the pandemic, she was like, babe, have a beer. I'm like, no, man, please support me. I'm, I, I'm, I got seven years or six and a half years, whatever. And she said, um, she kept for a week straight. And finally I'm like, give me a fucking beer. What broke the camel's back. She said, we could die tomorrow. We could absolutely die. Cut loose and have a good time. Let's have a beer together. I'm like, all right. And since then I'm fine. I'm not, I haven't toured yet. I haven't played any shows, but I'm fine. I think, um, 
having enough time away from it and focusing so much on jujitsu gave me enough of a foundation that I'll, I'm fine. Right. You know? so, you, so you've been drinking since the pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. Right on. Yeah. I am afraid to say I did, I did a podcast with Toby Morris and he, he's uh we did a he's song. Great, yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. And he's always liked the fact that I was sober and straight. He's like, Oh no. <laughs> he, but he never brought it up. So I didn't, I didn't mention it. If you would have, I'd be like, yeah, man, I would have told him the same story, but he never brought it up. I'm, you know, if he sees this, he's going to call me. Dude, really? You fucking broke edge. But everybody breaks edge. That dude hasn't. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So God bless. To each his own. I, I, I can't I, drink every day, though. You know, like I, you know, I used to drink a lot. And certainly in my 20s and 30s, I was, I mean, just raging. It's kind of amazing that you didn't drink. You know, like uh, you were on tour with Pantera like multiple times. It's kind of amazing that you were sober through all of that time. I wasn't though. Soberish. Okay, gotcha. You yeah, because Dime and I were pretty close. We would go out and get tie one on. Yeah. I'd smoke with. I'd smoke with Phil. None of the guys knew this. I would smoke with Phil, and then I would fucking drink shots after shots with Dime. And there's videos. I'm in their video. One of their videos. I'm fucking button eight, but my boxer shorts fucking right. wasted with some birthday cake. Um, and then uh, but. That was my thing all through the years. Evan and I always, Evan struggled with, not struggled, but it was a big thing for him, sobriety. Yeah. And he had me there. And I talked to him a couple weeks ago and he told me this crazy story that he was smoking weed for like three years. He was addicted to weed. I'm like, what? Are you fucking kidding me? But everybody has their own trip and you find your way in life. And the, 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 I, I, I don't regret anything. Yeah. No, I, hear but, you. I, I can only drink like two days a week though now. Like, um, yeah, if I do Friday and Saturday, like Ginevra and I, we do like, ever since the pandemic, we started doing like a date night cause our kids were old enough and yeah. it was like, I just, I was like, okay, like we don't need to make sure everybody's okay. And you know, like we can just go like kick it in the garage and listen to music and drink. And so like, we just, you know, there was nothing else to do. So we just started doing that and it was just, yeah. it was just cool. Like, it's just a cool hang and just talk and laugh and cry or whatever the fuck we do, you know, like just, and listening to music and, and, uh, and then that's good. And then, you know, like Sunday through Thursday, I'm sober as a judge, you know, like I can't, I just can't focus if I'm hung over, you know, like to work, I can't do podcasts. I can't fucking rehearse or just get whatever, you know? So. Yeah, it, 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 it definitely is a hindrance and it's more so not being, not partying. It's the, the recovery. That's yeah. what it is. For me on tour, it was jujitsu. And I like, I like, I like training so much on tour that I was like, yeah, I don't want to party because then I'm going to sleep through in the morning. And the only time you can train is like 9 a.m. in, right. in whatever bumfuck middle of Europe somewhere. So I would, you know, hustle up, go to sleep, not too early, but I'd wake up, get my training out of the way and then come back. And at 11 in the morning, everybody's still have to sleep or whatever i'm wide awake and ready to go and, and that's that helped me in the latter years but um but the other thing that we did was we invested in a in a, a cbd company and a thc company oh, called cool. grapefruit and that was pretty cool but also you and your wife pushing, did yeah and we're pushing the pushing the <laughs> pushing the line is like you walk the line a little bit you know but i think being home for me so much and and having two tours canceled off the new record sucks, but it's the first time we, we talked about this earlier. It's the first time we didn't miss any birthdays, any holiday, right? Every anniversary. It was like awesome. And my wife never once said to me, it used to be when you go back on tour, right? At some now point. it's just like, yeah, 
it's it's great to you know wake look forward to waking up in the morning you know yeah yeah for sure man i i probably enjoyed i've talked about this a lot on the podcast but i've probably enjoyed the pandemic way more than i should ever say publicly <laughs> that i enjoyed it because it was you know having fucking toured nonstop since 1988 basically you know like i fucking it's that's a long time man and you just you get in your mode and you release a record and then now you're on tour and it's the tour cycle and then it gets back and then it's the album and it's like it was just like wow like i'm slowed down i'm here like my kids are like when are you going on tour and i'm like i'm not like i'm home <laughs> they're like really for how long i'm like i have no idea <laughs> and it was great right like it's great awesome it, you know what else too that you do with like the, all the live stuff that is awesome bro i i watched it that from afar and it was like wow and i i didn't i didn't do any of that i i recorded a lot wrote a lot and you know came up with a new record two new records and then wrote and produced a lot of records for other bands but playing live i miss it so much and i saw you do that i was like wow that's fucking awesome i should the do live that. streams yeah yeah those are and I, I never did it all the guys i play with they're all everybody's with different bands right I, I think that's you know if it was biohazard we all, you know, in the same neighborhood, then awesome. Right. right. But what, uh, um, tell me about this new record. Tell me about it. I was, I was listening to some of the songs. I really love how like you've kind of incorporated this and you've done this for a, quite a minute now, but like, I just love this melody that you've incorporated into stuff, you know, like it's a really, it's, I don't want to say like, like maybe a little SoCal punk, maybe that's where I'm connecting it to, but you're, you know, maybe it's from someplace else. I don't know, but it's, really cool to hear i think thank you the funny story how that is i always equated because evan was always a melodic singer for the biohazard style of melody he was the more melodic guy i was the the screamer and the yeller but being class evan wasn't trained didn't know about theory he could play well and knew a lot and he's definitely i think he he let go of a lot of things as he got more interested in other other things that came with the music in the band, like girls and shit like that. But musically, I remember having conversation with him and, and like, let's speak in terms of notes, not tuning. And, and he was like, no, no, I, that's confusing. So if we tune down to D, let's just call that E. I'm like, no, train your ear. Let's, that's, we could, this is the beginning of our career. I'm going to do this for my life. And that was one conversation. Um, and then Bobby, I remember Bobby used to complain a lot because my wrists were chromatic and it, it's all ties into what you're, you're asking about. But he said, um, he's like, it's so hard to play over your wrist because they're so chromatic. I'm like, yeah, I, I like him. I, I don't, I don't want to stay in key. He goes, you're a piano player. You know, theory. Can't you just write something in key, at least for my lead beds? And I'm like, yeah, like harmonic minor. Is that all right? And he's like, yeah, that's perfect. I said, cool. Okay. What about this? that song was fucking punishment, our biggest fucking song ever. And I was like, ah, maybe I should write a little bit, at least stick to some kind of form. But my whole shit comes back to being trained as a kid. And I always tell people, learn as much as you can and then fucking ignore it all, throw it out and just play what's inside. So the influences for me from like melodic punk, and that came from like more like oi and sing along melodies, like, like the early post punk stuff. Okay. And then I do like a lot of bands like, you know, West coast punk for bad religion. So like that eat Pennywise, um, rancid, 
but it was in the clash. So there's a lot of different influences, but there was this dude I worked with, Toby Wright. I don't know if you know mm-hmm. Toby Wright. Yeah. He, you guys work with him? He makes, he makes some live stuff for us one time. Yeah. Yeah. So Toby, I always equated coming up with biohazard. It was like playing piano. And then when I later, when I had kids, acoustic guitar, all that stuff was a different side of my personality. It was a different part of me. And even though I played piano here and there with biohazard, there were two different worlds. I never could meld them together. And then Toby, he helped me cross his bridge. We did it. It was the last record we did with Evan. The last biohazard record was called Reborn Defiance. And Toby helped me find this voice where I felt like I wasn't compromising my style of singing and my energy, but I could pepper in a little bit of melody. And I, I 100% all, all to him. Um, and then he hooked up, he hooked me up with this um, uh, Susan Carr, this um, uh, vocal teacher. And then oh, she, really? yeah, and she helped me um, probably, Toby helped me be, be cool with letting go of like, just because you sing with melody doesn't mean it's soft, you know? And it's not a diss. So soft is not a bad word. I love dynamics. You can't have black unless you compare it to white. Then the contrast shows the, the, the strength. Same thing with dynamics of music. It's soft and hard, fast and slow. But Toby helped me let go of that whole kind of stigma that I had. It was like holding my daughter or having her sitting in her cradle and playing like soft acoustic samba music. It was a different thing or piano. Suddenly I was like, okay, a melody is a melody and you could still sing it like Lemmy and still, you know, Lemmy and, and, and you and fucking James, everybody sings, they pulled it off. I just couldn't, I don't know what it was, was holding back, but Toby helped me cross that. And then when I went to, um, on the first Billy Bio record, it was called Fear the Fire. It came out in 2019 or end of 2018. Then I started to delve more into that. And uh, it's just what I do now. So if there's ever a new bios record um, and we get back together with Evan, maybe I'll make him sing the heavy stuff and I'll sing more melodic. <laughs> right. Is it a, what's this? Is it the song? Yeah. Rise and Slay. That's the first record. Slay. Yeah. That rec, that song though, to me, like really, stood out like as a really cool like Thank melodic you. like the whole guitar like the guitar thing you were got, you were doing and that's way you were singing it and then the key change into the heavy part it was fucking really really well put together man like it's a fucking banger i'm gonna play it in the intro like it's thank you bro yeah, yeah that's off the debut that's the first one it has a um here's a funny story my my <laughs> rising slay to me it's, it's about getting up and it's just fucking whatever whatever it is in your morning fucking ritual drink a cup of coffee and just fucking kill the day whatever you got to do go to work fucking hustle your shit write songs whatever it is and that's my always been my thing and but my daughter said to me after she goes it's kind of weird riding sleigh i'm like what do you mean weird it's like fucking it's like Viking ride and slay. <laughs> Bring the fucking challenge. I, I don't look at things as problems. I always looked at them as challenges. And that's helped me overcome a lot of things. But she said, you know what slay is? I'm like, yeah, it's like fucking slaying the dragon. And she goes, no, it's like slay. It was like a word that the kids had that meant something totally different than I meant it. And I'm like, what do you mean? And she explained it. She goes, it's like slay. Like I'm going to slay through like, Oh, like a sled, like on a sled or something. A sled. No, sleigh, a sleigh? I, no, it was more um, way softer. Okay. Okay. 
And I, and she took all the wind out of my sails for a little bit. And I was like, nah, I prefer the Viking yeah. sleigh most, dragon way more, babe. You know, most people know what is sleigh, you know, like yeah. Yeah. village plunder. Yeah. yeah. Um, but the younger generation says something different. There's a funny picture funny. I remember seeing of Tom Araya and, and his family at the, uh, the, uh, the Grammys. And it was a picture of him. And I think it was his son. One of the kids made it, they were like smirking. And as parents, you know, like you bring your kids somewhere and five minutes later, like, can we go home now? And you know, the look on the face, the kid was like rolling his eyes and the caption underneath said, even when you're as cool as Tom Araya from Slayer, you're still a boring dad. Yeah, totally. Totally. The kid's like this. Why do I have to be here at the Grammys with Tom Araya Slayer? The rest of the world would kill to be, to have his ticket and to be hanging out with Tom. But his son was just like, get me the fuck out of here. Bring me to in and out like it. you promised me. Right. I'm over it. Yeah. <laughs> Are we going to pizza after this? Yep. Tell me about the new record. So a new record's called Leaders and Liars. It came out um, March 25th. And uh, it's this is my every record, um, except for you guys. Most bands that I fall in love with, their second record is really the record that's just like, whoa. And it sets a pace for the record. It determines if there's going to be a record number three and four, but your first one came right out of the gate and just knocked the fucking world apart for biohazard was urban discipline. Um, it's like, you make that first one, you have your relatively speaking, you have your whole life to make that first record, but then you go on tour, you're, you're hanging out together. You're sleeping on people's floors. You're playing those songs night after night and you get close, but that the music that comes out of that relationship is a second record that just, wow. And, and, And yours is a banger too, but, for biohazard, it wasn't until Urban Discipline. That's when we started to come to our own. And, and Leaders and Liars is a result of touring around, not a lot, super lot, but um, I came off the tour. We we were in, it was February 2020. We were out with AF, Agnostic Front, right. Matt, uh, Gorilla Biscuits, Age of the East Pack tour, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Persistence tour. And then we came home right. yeah. and the world shut down and, and so I kept that energy and I had a bunch of songs I was working on. And then that record is a, uh, is a result of, you know, lockdown. I mean, that must've been a fun tour for you just either way. Cause like so many friends and, you know, even yeah, it was great. You know, people that inspired you and, you know, right. Like, yeah, it could be like, you know, the first, first hardcore band that I really fell in love with was AF. And I remember listening to victim of pain. The first, the song comes on and there's this downbeat and the guitar is a little out of tune. And I, at the time, I was still, it was new to punk rock, not new to punk rock, but this was like the first New York band. I was like, whoa, this is fucking awesome. But I still had all the memory of music theory in my head. And I'm like, how could they leave it out of tune? And I'm like, oh. I'm like, wow, it's not important how well you play. It's how you play it and how you deliver it. Right. And so I, it started to give me a little bit another angle to music and then speed the clock ahead. I, you know, I'm. I become close, you know, become friends with Agnostic Front. We tour a lot. And I'm on the stage once on tour with AF. Vinny turns to me, he's tuning between songs. And I'm like, in my head, I'm like, it's not in, it's not in. I wanted to say something and I didn't. And he turns to me and he's like this, close enough for hardcore kid. And they started the song and I was like, yeah. <laughs> close enough for hardcore kid. <laughs> it's a certain kind of thing that like, that's what I love about, um, and, and and I got a straight up, bro, coming from punk rock and hardcore, the guys in Biohazard turned me more on the metal. 
And then I was like, so I love, it's like, oh, this is fucking, they can play really well, but they got the fucking attitude and the fire. Whereas punk rock, it wasn't so important how well you played. It was more so just more, more attitude than yeah. anything else. Um, and then I, so even like Evan turned me on to the Ripper from Priest and I was like, what's this? It's like, it's fucking awesome. Give it a chance. And I listened to it. I was like, whoa, holy fuck. Because it was, I was one of the ones, like Biohazard, I think we we, bar- we, we knocked down a lot of barriers because it wasn't, you couldn't like hardcore and metal. And even though a lot, some people did, you were, it was, you were, we were outcasts. If you liked, you know, if you had long hair and you went to a hardcore show, I remember Scott Ian got chased out of CBGBs by the hardcore kids. Right. It, it, it was an era where, and, and vice versa, if you were a hardcore kid and went to a metal show, some of the metal kids were like, you fucking assholes, you fucked with me, you and your boys, now it's payback. That, that bullshit was destroying the scene and Biohazard and you guys, Machine Head, we kind of were forefathers in, in breaking a lot of those barriers. But I was one of those dudes who, if it wasn't hardcore punk rock, I fucking hated it. Okay. And somebody handed me Raid and Blood once. It was before, when did Raid and Blood came out? Remember? Six. Oh yeah. So it was way before Biohazard. And I, I, I remember hearing it and it was on a cassette tape and I was, I was working at a fucking grocery store and the tape, you remember how it would automatically flip over to play the other side. Right. So it, it was septic death on one side and, or Dayglo abortions, one of the bands, I can't remember, but then it flipped over and, and it was rain and blood. And then I was like, I was busy doing something, stocking shelves or whatever I was doing. And it started playing. I'm like, cool. Then Tom comes in with a high pitched scream right. and I went to, Press. I'm like, fuck no, because all the other side was a pentagram. That's all it was. It was like, this, okay, it, okay. That's all I remember. It was the kid who gave me this mixtape or two bands on a cassette tape. But then when the as I was pressing stop or flip to the other side to my punk rock shit, Tom's voice got lower, and I gave it a chance, and I was like, whoa, holy fuck, this is this isn't bad. This is amazing. Yeah. And then it, that was it. And then, so I started to appreciate more the heavier metal, like what I mean by heavier metal, like the heavier st- side of, of the metal world. And then bands, like I knew about um, Maiden, knew about Priest, but it was when like, at, like the rip, what was the ripper on? Like early Priest. You remember that? That would have been on Sad Wings of Destiny, but probably made famous on the unleashed in the East record, which was like a right around, you know, the beginning of the eighties, that record came out and got super popular because yeah. it had like the heavier versions of the songs. So the, the guys turned me on to all that stuff. Bobby would, you know, made in and Bobby liked hardcore too, but Dan, like we shared a lot of different tastes with each other. So the, the, I think all of my influences come out more so than ever in under as a solo artist. Because right. I, I'm not, I don't have to fit a mold. I just, I hear just that. Flow. I really hear that. Like it's, it's definitely, it's kind of refreshing to hear, you know, like, I don't, if you were in biohazard, I don't know if you'd be writing like this and you know, it's definitely got a biohazard feel to it. Like it's got the groove and you definitely, you know, you can hear that the Danny Schuler type of grooves. Cause those are like fucking unfuck grooves, but yeah. you know, like it's still, you know, it's got this other side of it, which is it's, it's killer. The production's awesome. Like it's, you know, like everything sounds big and modern and cool and shit. Like I, I really like, I think you got something cool on your hands, man. Thank you, bro. That means a lot. 
we, we I've watched you, you know, build your fucking awesome empire. So to hear besides besides that, but um, it's it's nice to we're in a world where we can't tour. I, I had two tours canceled. Um, I don't know what what you guys are doing, but it's, it's now with the war. It's fucking. I don't know what's going to happen. Putin's not going to just give up. So yeah, I lost. It's not going to happen. So I'm, I'm fearing the worst. Who knows what's going to happen with these tours coming up. But um, that aside, it's we're left to just creating music. And yeah. when, when someone passes on a compliment, it, it's your right heart. So thank you. Yeah, you're welcome, man. Now, I, I definitely, yeah, Leaders and Liars, everybody needs to, you're, self, you're self-releasing it? Or is it through? Well, uh, it's on AFM, which is under belief, this label called Believe. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's killer. Yeah. Are they do, you got like vinyl variants and all that good stuff? Yeah, I specifically thousand vinyl variants. <laughs> no, we only did we we didn't. There's no black vinyl. I did okay. gold, red, and and uh, silver. That's it. Yeah, that's killer. A, a variation of the German flag. I just realized this morning. Like somebody said it to me, like, "Oh, you do that on purpose in an interview," and I'm like, "I never thought of it." No, just cool colors, bro. <laughs> yeah, cool colors. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but no, that's awesome. Yeah, you know it's funny too because like the you, as you know like the vinyl takes. A fucking nine months or 10 months or whatever to make now right like what used to be you know i mean i remember like back when i don't even know did urban discipline even come out on vinyl i know burn yeah. my eyes didn't come out on vinyl it didn't no it oh. only came out on cd and cassette like vinyl was so it was so old cool. yeah yeah it was just like nobody bought vinyl so you know, but did you, you re, they re-released it. Oh, you guys re-released they it. They re-released it recently. Yeah. yeah. Right before the pandemic. But yeah, we that, just, was the, we just, that was the first official, you know, the first official vinyl release didn't come till fucking, you know, decades after that album. It, it's better. It sounds better. And the, the, my bet, my, some of my best memories were two, there's two parts of vinyl listening to ACDC. To, oh yeah. I forgot. My buddy turned me on ACDC. So before I found punk rock, I was listening to Back in Black and and uh, and Highway to Hell, but fucking huffing on glue in a brown paper bag, like, <laughs> but, and then reading the liner notes and all this shit, and like a lot of the bands that that we probably learned about and grew up loving, we found by reading who they were friends with, you know, right. totally, and, and you don't have it anymore. Like it, that's why, like Jose, Jose is like that metal ambassador has turned me on to so many fucking new bands because there's no, and when you listen to an MP3 or Spotify, you can't see who they thank. You can't see who they're friends with. Right. Right. But and it's better I, to hear it from somebody from, it's better to hear it from a Jose anyway, you know, like somebody yeah. like, okay, I'm hearing it from a friend and. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, it replaced that part. And the other thing is vinyl sounds better. Artwork's always better. It, it just, everything's so big and large, which is what rock, which that's what music is big and large. When you shrink it down, it kind of diminishes the power of it, I think. And MP3s, besides the quality shit, I mean, everything about it. We spend all this energy and time trying to make these massively sounding records. And then it gets squished down so somebody listens to it on a little you know, pair of headphones. And you, you kind of lose some of it. But you got to embrace change, you know? I love that you talked about uh, like what, you know, the bands that get thanked or anything like that on a record and that's how you discovered a bunch of bands right like yeah you'd read it you'd read a hardcore bands thanks list and then you'd be like okay they thank this band so now i gotta listen 
to this band because I just saw them thanked on this guy's record. And same here. Like I did that. I can't even tell you how many times, like I just see a, a band with a cool name on someone's record and be like, Oh, okay. Like I'll go check that out. Yeah. Did you know that the very first time machine head was ever mentioned in print was on urban discipline when you guys thanked machine. Really? Head. Yeah. Yeah. You guys thanked machine head one word, <laughs> but you thanked, you thanked Robin Adam and machine head. <laughs> and I was like, I remember just being so fucking, you know, this is, we were barely, we had just gotten started. We were just still, you know, maybe had played a handful of shows or whatever. No, I remember you got, you guys came out to New York and we hung out. You guys came on tour with us for a bit and you guys were just putting the game, band together. Right. And then you went back and made the record. Right. Uh, well, was it after it was a little different band? than that. Yeah. It was a little different. We, so we, I was still in violence and violence was ending a tour in New York city yeah. and Dom DeLuca came out. And I want to say one of you, you guys came out to the show and then we played. And then the plan was my girlfriend at the time was taking a train out with our roommate, Phil Rydell and Adam. And they were all going, and who was friends with uh, Phil and they were all coming out and they were fans of violence. They were going to go see the show. I was going to hang out. And then we were staying at metal Maria's. And while we were there at Metal Maria, which I always did, every time I was in New York, at any time in violence, I was sleeping on fucking Metal Maria's floor because we never had money for hotels. So we just, and she was like, yeah, you could stay on So we were like, okay. And, uh, and uh, it was fine. I was talking to my buddy Tom about this last night because he like, he pulled up some site that had, it was a pretty rad site. I should send you the link, but it was like a fucking biohazard. It was a shrine to biohazard. Basically it had yeah. like every show you'd ever done. And like, and I was like, Oh my God, this is crazy. You guys did so many shows before your first record. It was crazy. Like hundreds yeah. of shows. I was fucking just blown away. Like there was a lot of shows before you guys were, you know, on your way. And, uh, anyway, we saw, uh, you guys were playing at the Sundance theater in long island or whatever that place was called sundance and uh you were with token entry you were supporting them and yep i me phil and adam went to the show just because we heard you guys were killer and phil demo uh phil rydell my my roommate okay yeah yeah and and uh and we went out to the show and Dom, I think Dom told us to go there. Cause Dom was just like, you know, I was like, I'm going to be hanging in town. Like, do you guys, ha, you know, is there any cool shows going on? Yeah. And, uh, Dom DeLuca was like, yo, check out my boy's biohazard. So we went out and checked. And I just remember being fucking blown away. Like I just, you know, that was, Danny was in the band by then. And you guys had the first record out and I'd never heard, you know, I know I, I say this a lot about Danny, but I, I just really feel that Danny's like one of the most underrated drummers in the fucking history of music, metal and hardcore, because I just think those grooves that he brought to the scene and to just hardcore in general, like they changed the game, like they changed the fucking game forever. Like you'd never heard that kind of funky swagger in a metal song. You know, but when, when I heard you guys do it, I was like, oh shit, you can do that. I was like, oh, like my, it was totally a light bulb in my brain. And, uh, and I just remember being blown away. We hung out with you guys and then you guys came through on the exploited thing. Not yeah. soon after that. Yep. Yeah. Where do we, we, we were at a hotel once and I, we probably yeah. should go into it. It's a little this crap. Was the, this was, so after Sundance is the hotel Bobby? thing. Yeah. With Bobby. <laughs> I couldn't remember, remember he, if you were there. 
I don't know if you want to tell the story, but my fucking version, my memory of the story is fucking gold, dude. Like, I was like, we're hanging out with you guys. We're like, yeah, let's go fucking party. Like, we're going to go back to you guys, grab a bunch of girls because Biohazard always had a fucking gaggle of girls around them perpetually. (laughs) And fucking, and Big Rich is there. Big Rich Freen. And uh, shout out to Big Rich because he was a fucking maniac. And, uh, and he really was like big, like he was a fucking big dude, man. Like best manager to have, because you, you don't forget him. Who's right. Oh, the band with the tall manager. He's like yeah. seven, seven, four. So yeah. He was fucking huge and super, yeah. like super nice guys. Anyway, we're back and we're just fucking, we're wasted already. Cause we were at the show and you guys are just starting to party. And then like, it's just like, Hey, we're going to go bang these chicks out in the fucking room over here. Let's open the curtains and you guys can watch. And we're like, what? Like, this is nuts. So like, we're hanging outside, like on the patio of this, like pretty ghetto hotel (laughs) and just like sipping beers and talking. And then every once in a while, look inside the window and like, you know, there's Bobby (laughs) banging some chick or rich. I remember rich, like going in for sloppy fifths or something. And like, starts eating her out and she's on her period and he comes up and he's just got blood all over his face. He's like, ah, like looking out the window like, oh my God. Was that Richie or Bobby? I, I, I always thought it was Bobby who like grabbed her. This is, I know. No, t- tell the story. I know what you're about to say. Okay? Yeah, yeah. All right. Fuck, Doris, it's okay. It's called No Fucking Regrets. Yeah, all right. So there you go. <laughs> Perfect. So he grabs the girl's tampon with his teeth, pulls it out <laughs> and starts shaking like a dog I thought it was Bobby. It was Richard. Was, was it Bobby? If I can't remember. Maybe it was Bobby. I think it's Bobby because because there's an other stories that were similar. Okay. You know, and he was a maniac. And here's the thing. I like, totally. I took it. There were two, just to recap, though, he goes down and starts eating her out. She has a tampon, and he pulls the tampon out with his mouth and sw- wipes the fucking bloody thing all over his face. <laughs> Holy fuck, dude! That's it. Uh, he was a fucking dude, maniac. We we can't be canceled for this because it happened. No, right? we're Godfathered no. in. No, we're fucking, this is we're, this is the shit right here. That's rock and roll, bro, and and that shit. Great fucking memories. Holy damn! Yeah, I couldn't oh. remember if you were there, and I was like, I don't think that Billy was in on that, but I know you were around, hanging out. I remember looking in the window and watching yes. this whole thing happen, and both of us were like. Holy Yes, for laughing. Sure. It was rich. I can't remember. I think Evan might have been involved in it too. I can't remember, but it was you know it was all consensual. Like the girls were totally stoked. They were like loved you guys. Like the fucking girl. Like I, I, I tell this story to so many people that I've never before or since ever been around any band that had as many girls as you guys did. You know, and mainly it was Evan and 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 Bobby. You know, like you were always pretty level headed. Danny was always pretty level headed. I think you guys had girlfriends, and it was always like chill. But like those two, like you know, I've heard you know, like you always hear something like Robert Plant could get any woman that he wanted. You know, like you know, like you always hear the road crew like he mate he could get any girl into bed, and like they couldn't say. It. And I was like, yeah, I was like, the fucking whatever. Like the, no, like. Evan and Bobby could have any girl they wanted. Like it was crazy. Like Bobby would have four girls in four different corners of the venue. And he'd just be like making the rounds. I was like, and and, and never get busted. Never. Here's a funny story on that. I got a call once um, from the producers of Jerry Springer. And they said, hi, uh, blah, blah, blah. We want to bring you on a show. It's a show about um, groupies. And I'm like, you got the wrong dude. And they're like, no, no, 
it's you, Billy, blonde guy from Biohazard. I'm like, no, you, you probably mean a lot of people confuse me with Bobby, the names, blah, blah, blah. Right. Or maybe Evan. And like, no, no. We spoke to a lot of, interviewed a lot of women and your name keeps coming up from Biohazard. I'm like. You were probably the hot, you were, you were the hottest guy in bio, Biohazard. <laughs> <laughs> you had like, the abs, you're all shirtless. <laughs> so I ended up, I was like, no, man, this thing, right? This is, I'm going to bring out somebody and it's, it's going to be a paternity test, all this crazy shit. <laughs> but it was with Pete and Pete Steele did it. And you can okay. find it on the internet. Yeah, he did it. And I, it's the funniest thing. He, the way he handled it is, is awesome. Um, my wife just walked in. So, um, you want to go say hi? Go say hi to her. No, it's, it's case. Okay. Good. All right. I'm dying to, but th- so she, um, so Pete is, yeah, my wife, she still has that effect on me. She's flushing me, got me <laughs> off my game, dude. I'm no longer the cool dude from Biohazard. I'm just like, like this in love guy. who's just like, <laughs> so, um, so Pete did the interview and the way he handled it, it was, it's awesome. You go, you can search it. There's, I'm sure it's on YouTube somewhere, but I never did it because I was, you know, looking back now, I, I that's, I always say there's no regrets and I, we are who we are because of the experiences that we've had. And so I wouldn't change anything, but it would have been a cool story to have, you know, like to see what would have happened. I'd rather regret things that I did than things that I didn't do. And that is one thing I, you know, would have been cool to to hang out with Pete Steele and on a TV show with Jerry Springer and with a bunch of women that you've met on tour, you know? Right. Right. (laughs) Yeah. I'd tell you what, the next thing that I remember about, uh, biohazard is you guys come to uh, i i think that i want to say that we knew these belgian dudes these, we had these belgian dudes come and stay with us and i and i can't remember the real names but we called them david the cat yeah <laughs> david and uh I can't yeah, remember the guy. i'm trying to forget yeah you know who i'm talking about bxl posse yeah christian. yes christian yes bxl posse yep yeah and, those guys they still pop up but anyways i remember that when they went out you guys hooked them up. They stayed with us. I think you guys while. said, Hey, these guys are friends of us. Ours just like put them up and we put them up and they ended up being super cool. Yeah. And, uh, and they kind of helped spread the word about machine head when they went back home and, and, uh, and then you guys came out and it was the exploited tour and Wadi, the singer for exploited had just OD'd somewhere in the Midwest or something. And so I guess a week of dates got canceled yep. and I guess the first show was supposed to resume in San Francisco. And so you guys called some, you know, somebody, you, probably Evan called yeah. me up and was like, Hey, like we all need to stay at people's house. Can you put it like all up? And, uh, I can't remember where, where did, I don't know. Remember where you went, but I, I know Evan you, came out and stayed with me. Yeah. And I remember you guys introduced me to, um, Marcus Pacheco and Aaron Kane. They were tattoo artists. And they yes. did my backup. And I, so I spent like four or five days getting tattooed, but it was, that was a crazy time. I forgot that Wadi OD because he had blood poisoning. We had a kick. We, that tour was fucking wild. Crazy. About that. Tell, tell me, there's got you got to have so many fucking stories about this. Yeah, dude. I remember we, um, so we were doing the whole tour was in two vans. Um, Wadi, who's still to this day, a great friend. And I, and I see him often who's gone through fucking hell and back and he's still surviving like heart attacks, quadruple bypass. And he's still the same fucking dude wow. But on that tour, Rob, he, and I, I was like punk rock kid too. I'm not with one of the 
the, the top dogs in the punk rock world. Yeah, I mean, he, he's like, is. fuck the USA. Everything we just like, this guy is like, he doesn't give a fuck. <laughs> he all he did was do fucking crank the whole tour and listen to too legit to quit by fucking um <laughs> by MC Hammer. MC Hammer <laughs> over and over again, bro. Too legit like, to quit. Yeah, he was that some- is the most random thing to hear. That fucking Waddy, the singer for the Exploited, is listening to MC yeah. Hammer's second record or whatever. Little fingers or UK subs. He was listening to Too Legit to Quit, and he <laughs> kept doing the thing. Too legit, whatever it was. Too legit. Yeah. Too legit to quit. So he, um, he would, he, and I remember. So our van broke down in the middle of the tour. It's that tour is filled with so many hilarious rock and roll moments. It, it um, he. We were on our way to Canada. Our van broke down. We jump into their van. So we posse up. We're going across the border. And suddenly their fucking tour manager who's driving starts screaming. And Wadi had this cattle prod. And he would, every time he dropped below 55, he'd electrocute him. Oh, my God. Hit him in the side of the rib or the side of the neck. Wow. Bro, this kid, by the end of the tour, he developed this fucking twitch like this. And one day... It, we're, we must have driven with them for maybe a week or two weeks on tour um, until we sorted out our, our, our transportation. So you're all in the van. You all and in the exploited. Van. Wow. Yeah. So that's we, pretty we're tight. Coming across order, the border, yeah, come across the border, and, the, and this, this abused tour manager driver turns around and says, Get rid of all your drugs across the border. So Wally pulls out a bag of fucking crank, and we're like, Bro, let's throw that shit out. Like, throw it out. Bit a lot of good money for it. In his Scottish accent, where you. It's like New Yorkers and Scotch are, are so we speak fast, but that was motherfuckers speak faster and with marbles in their mouth. You're like, what? Right, right. right. So he was basically saying he spent a lot of money on his no way. Hell, he's fucking he goes, you got to do it with me. And so he literally oh, shit. pretty much by himself started the whole fucking bag of crank. Wow. And it set it off. It was like straight through from the next from that and the rest of the tour. He, one time he walked, he opens the door of the van maces everybody in the fucking van and then closes it, locks it. We couldn't get out. We're like, it was hotels, trash throwing. We threw a TV out the fucking window in a, in a mattress and then split town because we, that's going to cost you money. So we had to leave. That that was when hotels, they didn't require you to put a credit card. Right, right, right. I think because of what we all did, coming up both of our bands <laughs> made it so new bands have to use a credit card before you can get a hotel room. <laughs> but we, we got stuck in, in San Francisco and hung with you guys. And it was after, where did you stay in San Francisco? I, I don't remember. I remember. I want to say I put you up with, I think I put you up with a friend of mine, but I can't remember who. I re- I don't remember who, but I remember, all I remember was, I think we saw Nirvana. Yep. Yeah, I got us all into the Nirvana show for Nevermind yeah. at, <laughs> at the Warfield. Yeah, Warfield. Warfield. Yeah. I snuck us all in, like ten dudes. It was pretty wild. I, I fucking well, just I'm, threw some for, game at the security guard. Thank you for clarifying that because I, I think at that time, I think I was, um, I, I think I, I think I was, I think I was doing acid or something. I remember tripping from that show we played in San Francisco. Evan got pierced. And he bled, almost bled. It wouldn't stop bleeding. Right. I, we tripped driving um, from, San, from San Francisco to LA to continue the on. And I tripped my mind, but my, I was out of my mind. So I only remember vaguely going to see 
Nirvana. I don't remember anything about the show, but I, I, I'm like, is that my memory? Or did I ever really see Nirvana? No, we went, we, we, we did, all right? went to see, yeah. I, I saw I, I got us all into Nirvana on the Nevermind tour at the Warfield. I knew it, man. My, my memory is so fucking foggy. But I remember outside the theater, and it was like, we were such a small band. It was like a big place. I was like, whoa, this is pretty cool. And it was sold out. Tons yep. of people. There. Yes. That was before big record, right? That was the, on the, that was like a month or two after the record dropped. It was just starting to take off and they're playing the Warfield. Yeah, they had nothing. They just had half stacks on stage. Didn't even have a fucking backdrop, like just super basic setup. And people were looking like, holy shit, this band's sick. Yeah. And yeah it was pretty well. Another band that changed the world. So we jumped in the van and we, and I remember taking acid driving and I was up the whole way to fucking LA we get to LA You're driving to LA on acid. <laughs> yeah. I wasn't driving. I was just riding the back of the okay. van. We had like, to- you're now back in your separate vans exploited. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, so during the San Francisco stint, when we were there with you guys, we missed, they had to cancel a bunch of shows and we just uh, didn't, didn't a bunch it. of shows get canceled. Like shows were getting canceled all the time because of something yeah. like what something happened. I remember or something, right? He taught, he OD'd one part and that might've been the time he OD'd. He also got blood poisoning at another part of the tour. And then a bunch of riots, crazy. And yeah, but didn't your your van got attacked or their van got attacked, right? By a bunch of skinheads or something. Yeah, we, we were, this is crazy. We were in um, Minneapolis and Evan and I, we just got off stage and we're hanging out at First Avenue. And um, for those who don't know, First Avenue was where Purple Rain was filmed for um, Prince. So we're upstairs in this balcony and it was super fucking hot and, and like more, like humid inside the club. So all the, the, the wind, I'll never forget this. All the windows had um, you know, all this moisture on it, right? So Evan and I are talking literally like this. And some kid, some skinhead comes between us and he sticks his hand between our faces and he draws a swastika on the fucking mildew, on the moisture on the window. I look at him like, I look at Evan and I look at the kid and I'm like, motherfucker. And I went to swing at him, hit him. And the guy runs away. Evan and I chase this dude. We chase him down. He's got like six guys outside. We're chase trying to fight these dudes and they were running from us. And we're like, there's two of us. These are fucking white power skinners. Why are they running? What? The? So we just kept chasing them. They outrun us. We, we turn around. We're like, wow, you know, look at this. This is a great story. We get back to the club. As soon as we get in the club, it's chaos. Security and all the biohazard, all exploited. And like, like the, like the few, hardcore fans that we all had were all fighting these security guys. And then it turns out um, they all surround the bands. We end up hightailing out of there. And then um, we get to the hotel and then we get all these calls that they were coming to get us. And so we had to leave the city and, you know, we all got a dime a dozen of those stories. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, Evan, Evan stays with me. He spends the night and this is, you know, I don't really know Evan that well, but I was like, yeah, fuck it. Like, you know, crazy times, like, sure, yeah. we'll post everybody up. And Evan's, you know, the, just the coolest, you know, fucking he's from Brooklyn and he's just like, he can talk to anybody and like, you know, we're hanging out and we're out of our minds, you know, like I'm dealing speed and yeah. I'm hanging out with my crazy friend, Mark G, who's a freaking maniac and we're just getting in fights and, you know, <laughs> and he's, but he'll hang with us. Like he was hanging with, like he was going to every show we've lived in this apartment complex now for like a year and we've never had sex with any of the hot girls that live there. Dude, within like 24 hours, Evan's having sex with 
every girl in the fucking apartment. We're just like, who is this dude? Like, what the fuck is going on? This is crazy. Like, I'm coming in, I'm coming back into my room, and Evan's in my room with some girl. I can't get into my, you know, I'm sharing the, an apartment with three dudes. Like, I've got my own bedroom, my roommate, and then my other roommate's in the living room. I can't get into my room because he's banging some chick in my bedroom on my weight bench. I'm like, what the fuck is going on? Like, these dudes are insane. Bench. What's that? On, on, weight bench, on my weight bench in my bedroom, in my apartment. He, there's this video. Um, somebody once said to me, "Oh, I uh, I saw a video of you. It's porn." I'm like, "I never made a porn video. That was Evan." No, no, you're in this video. I'm like, "What? No fucking way! I never did this. It must have been some like hidden camera or something." And there's a couple of blackout nights that that uh, I, I I vaguely remember. But there's this one video. It's I think it was made by our buddy Drew Stone, and Drew is filming me talking about the tour. So I was always the guy they called me the Sarge. I was the guy who hustled, you know, organized everything, fucking ran the merch, ran the business. And another reason why I probably was smart to be sober, you know, most of my career. But so in the video, I'm in front of the camera. I'm sitting there. I got this fucking this cool anvil case, which I thought was the fucking shit. Um, it has all the business stuff. Everything's organized. And I'm counting, like settling merch. And he's interviewing me about the tour. And I don't remember what, who we were with, but the camera is like, you know, it's, it's on me. And then it slowly pans over my shoulder in the dressing room. There's another dressing room behind us. Okay. And over my shoulder, he zooms in and Evan's having sex with this girl on the couch, door wide open. Right. And I'm oblivious talking about the tour. Yeah. Last time we played here it was fucking awesome. Blah, 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 blah. And then the camera quietly just zooms back out and I'm continuing with my story. I believe it's what's going on behind me, but I'm in a porn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Evan was definitely the, uh, he had no, he had no problem letting it all hang out. <laughs> you know, like Bobby yeah. would be more discreet for sure. Yeah. And Bobby like, would, I, yeah. yeah. He, Bobby. I think every woman he, uh, <clears throat> he married, it's like, he was like, it was, he, proposed to every woman he was with and from his heart and right. he was mad cool with everyone and women still they never looked at him as like a dirty dog like it wasn't like yeah. he was a cheating rock and roll dude evan had the reputation bobby was just the mayor so like i said you know you know i i love that you brought that up i think that's super funny and maybe we even talked about that and maybe this is where i got it from but i i remember thinking like we were we were hanging out with bobby and I remember we were in Atlanta. It was when we were on the Slayer tour and we were in Atlanta and, uh, you know, he had had a different girl every night on this tour. This is near the end of the tour. <laughs> like, you know, he had had, a, he had multiple girls every single night, every single fucking night. He had some smoking hot chick or more hanging out, waiting for him. Anyway, he came back and we, you know, we were always busting his balls about it. We started like messing around with him. Like we'd go up, like always talking to chick and just like stick our arm between and be like, Hey, what's going on? But yo, 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 what the fuck? What's going on? My girl, my girl, it's my girl. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. And, uh, he comes up and he's like, yo, man, I'm so bummed. I'm like, what's the matter? And he's just like, my girl, bro. I'm like, what's up? What's up? And he's just like, my girl's grandfather died, bro. And I'm like, the girl 
that girl that you're hanging out with right now, didn't you just meet her at the laundromat like an hour ago? And he was like, yeah, bro. But like, I was like, but that was it. Like he had this ability to like empathize. I'm like where he was genuinely fucking bummed that this girl that he had met an hour ago, grandma. And so like, and then pretty soon she was like, ah, like I was like, what the fuck? It's crazy. You know, but it was like, that was how good he was. And and it wasn't like a, it wasn't, and I say that not like how good he was, but like he genuinely felt that. Like I could see it in his eyes that he genuinely felt that. And that is what made that girl like so crazy about him. I was just like, this is fucking the craziest thing ever. I still get messages, bro, on Instagram people all the time. Cause Bobby's like under the radar, not on social media at all. Right. And he um, are always sitting back. Please tell Bobby, I tell him Susan says, hi, he'll remember me. I'm like, okay, no problem. Right. <laughs> but it's like, and, but the, uh, the funny thing is that he probably will, he probably would remember each person, you know, yeah. he, I was always good like that. I wish I had a dollar for every time I would walk up to the van and he'd be like, I'd open the door and be like, yo, what are you doing? I'm in here. And I'm like, what's going on? So I, so I, you know, I got to change or something. And he's got, he's sitting with his feet up on the dash. He's got a pad of paper because he, he's an artist. He drew. And there was a woman, like somebody sitting next to him and he's sketching them. Okay. <laughs> he, he was this thing. You're beautiful. I want to, can I, can I draw you? <laughs> but it was honest. It wasn't like, it wasn't a line. It wasn't. It wasn't. A, yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't a line. You know, you he, know it, it was incredible. He was so like, I, we could probably tell Bobby stories for the rest of the podcast. <laughs> like he's, and it's great. I can't, I can't even great. imagine how many stories you've, I bear, I was only around him for like four months of my life and I've got like th- 30 stories that I could tell right now. I remember coming to see you guys at Roseland and it was the first time Bobby and I bumped into each other. We, we already split up with Bobby and we, as big fans of you and machine head, we came to see you guys. You guys fucking killed it. Sold out crowd. And Bobby, I, you and I are talking, Bobby walks up or vice versa. I don't remember. And we start going at it and it's like starting to heat up. And you, you were like, guys, just fucking stop, please don't do this. Cause we were, it was the first time we saw each other and we started having words, but you squashed it. And I was like, and we walked away. We hung out, but Bobby and I didn't have beef, you know? And yeah. I, do you remember that? I don't know if you, I, I remembered it as you told it. I didn't remember it up until now, but yes, yeah. I, I do. That's crazy. Yeah, I didn't realize that was the first time you guys had seen each other. Yeah. Nobody knows this. And I, and, and people always kind of look at it like, Oh, they kicked him out or whatever, but I quit the band. I, I was done with it. Bobby, I was, I got my shit together. I was sober and we were working on a new record and I was like, we had some blow up. Bobby woke up, you know, hung over and it was like, I don't like any shit you're writing. I'm like, okay, cool. What do you got? I'm, I don't know. I don't got nothing yet. And I, and that was it. I was like, and fuck you then. I packed up my shit, guys. I'm I'm done. I'm out of here. Fuck this band. I'm not gonna carry this band on my fucking my fucking coattails. Packed up my shit and quit. Left. Left Biohazard. Evan shows up my stoop the next day, next night. We're sitting outside on 58th Street, and he's like, "Yo, let's do something. You, if you're gonna continue, I'm I'm with you." I said, "All right." About a week later, Danny calls me. He's like, "Yo, I hear you're doing something with Evan." I'm like, "Yeah, I'm gonna start something new," and he's like, "All right, I'm in." And so we, that was the plan and then management and everybody that was making money off of us just got in our ears and we looking back, no regrets, but looking back, it would, I think that it would have been why a wiser move if we would have just 
stopped and changed and come up with a new name and been, you know, Billy, Danny, and Bobby, or Billy, Dixie, Billy, Danny, and Evan from Biohazard and started something different and left that, left that what we created together, let that just be. Um, but we didn't, we let them, you know, we got everybody, to, you know, filling shit in our ear and they were, the whole concept, they were like, this is right after yeah. state of the world address, right? Right after state yeah. of the world address. We had just finished touring. We were working on what became Mata layout. Right. Um, and then they were like, you guys worked so hard to get this. Bobby's got his shit going on. That's his issue. You guys don't, don't all these fucking millions of kids who like you guys, you have so many fans that you touched with Bobby and you know, you don't have to diss him, but continue with the band. And we did. Um, but I, I, and Danny, I always said, yo, if Bobby ever gets his shit, to, when he gets his shit together, because we were optimistic in a heartbeat, we'll be back together with him. It just took forever. You know, eventually he got it together and, and, yeah. you know, now we speak every, week I mean, so. I, I, I get it too. I mean, like as many like great Bobby stories as I have, and I do have a lot of them, like he was really out of hand. I mean, on that Slayer tour more so than, I mean, he was blacked out a lot of the time and it was fucking hard for everybody to deal with, you know, like it was hard for me to deal with. I could tell it was hard for you guys to deal with though. Yeah, dude. I, one time we were on a, we had a couple of, we were in Europe with a, um, playing two festivals in one day. So we had a charter, a, a private plane. I hate fucking saying the story, chart a private plane, but I love it for business. Like, great. With promoter was like, you guys were huge. In, like it was yeah. not surprising me that you guys chartered a fucking private plane. You were yeah. fucking massive at one point. It's the hardcore side of me. It's like, it's right. not cool, <laughs> right. but uh, you know, so we, we had to get this plane. We got off stage um, and Donington and how to fly to fucking Germany to play at night. And on the plane, Bobby was, they, I remember they turned the power off at Donington. There was this big riot. And I was just like, Holy fuck, this is amazing. We could never get our legs under us in England but we started fighting the securities who were beating up the kid, you know, the kids are coming over the barricade. And I'm like, this is good. This is awesome. We fucking stood up for the kids and there, there are people, this is going to turn out to be great. Bobby's flipping out tra trash and everything. He gets wasted. We're on this fucking plane, fine Germany. And he goes after the fucking exit and he's trying to open the door and he's screaming, I'm on a one way mission to hell. and I'm taking you motherfuckers with oh, me. Shit. Tiny tackles them. We're holding them down, pinning them down in the chair. Tiny security so, guard. Yeah. Rest, rest in peace, tiny. And, and, but Bobby, even with all that crazy shit, it's, it was just a time, you know, it was like, it was crazy. It was drugging with drinking and partying. It was just a wild time. Um, but he's still a great dude. Fucking. I could, I could see, you know, there was a couple times though, when I could see like, it was wearing on everybody. Like I remember on that, you know, so we do, we do the Slayer tour in Europe and it's the Slayer machine head. Then we come to America and it's machine head opening biohazard supporting Slayer. And, oh, you, you guys tour with them first. Yeah. We did a tour overseas with them first and then came over and did that tour with you guys. And so, yeah. uh, and you know, like there was some nights when you guys absolutely yeah. fucking killed it. And there was other nights where like, you know, the crowd was just kind of like, what's this new style? Like, I don't know about this. And you yeah. know, like, at some nights, like Bobby would be so fucked. Like I remember clearly one night 
And it's the fucking funniest goddamn story, but you guys were so pissed, but he was up there. He was, we're in Minneapolis and like the show is not going well. Like the crowd's not on your side and fucking, you know, like Bobby got, gets up on the mic and like Evan goes to say something. Bobby's like, yo, I got to say something like, hold up. And like fucking starts and he starts going off. We got to save the white tigers, yo. Like we got to, we got to save the white. Listen, all over the fucking world, this fucking white tiger is getting killed, and fuck, and everybody's just like looking in the round in the audience, like what the fuck, white tigers? Like what are you talking about? And fuck, they're like boo, you know. He's like boo. How can you fucking you motherfucker? You don't give a fuck about the fuck you then, man. With the, and everybody's just like the f- white tiger. What? Or, like and this goes on I for ten. This goes on for ten minutes, and you're literally just glaring. I'm in the crowd watching this, and the, you're just glaring at him, just. Like, like fucking, you know, Evan. Like everybody's just like, like I remember. I totally forgot about that, dude. There was one crazy story, but so here was the thing. Once, once we, once we were like, okay, Bobby's got a drinking problem, and it's not. He's not going to stop. It was like, okay, we we draw a line. No drinking before stage, or no drinking on stage. No drinking before we go on stage. You know, on, okay. on stage after whatever. And then there's like, then towards the end of the set, you see a beer on side of, his side of stage and then a couple beers and then they get earlier into the set. And then finally there's a beer when you walk on stage during the intro sitting on his amp that is check put there. So it got, it was, he battled and that dude single-handedly without AA found his way and, and, and fucking survived it. That's so I'll, I'll, yeah, it's, you got to give it up for him. But I, I don't. That's what's, go, what's going through your head though, as like he's going off on a ten minute fucking tangent about white tigers. Like, what are you thinking, bro? Gene Simmons. We met Gene Simmons at Headbangers Ball, and it was the first time meeting. And we walk into the green room. He's sitting there on the phone like this, larger than life. And he, we're like, I'm like, wow. We're waiting for him to get off the phone so we could talk to him. And I'm just, I'm like, holy shit. That was the first band I fell in love with as a little kid, like six, eight years old. My grandmother bought the first Alive 2 record and I, for Christmas, that was it. Um, so we're waiting to get a friend to get the phone. He takes me aside and he's like, hey man, you know my history. That dude, and he points at Bobby, kick him out of your band before he destroys you guys. I'm like, what? That's our boy. What are you talking about? And I'm, I'm meeting my one of my idols, rock, rock and roll idols as a little kid. I felt like I was 12 years old. And he, he's telling me this. I'm like, what? And I never told Bob this story. And I, and I probably shouldn't even share it here. But he said, you know my story with Kiss. You know my history. He was talking about Ace. And he goes, I'm, I see it. I know it. And this was maybe four years I mean, before you know, we split with Bobby. But wow. it always stuck in the back of my head. And so you asked me what was going through my head. That was going through my head, not Gene Simmons, but I was like, all our hard work. And Bobby, he, I, I'm up for fucking Animal Sanctuary, and I, I know Bobby so well. I know where his heart's at. Right. But he, it was more important to him to talk about what he felt. And the crowd just wanted; they were there for fucking Slayer. Right. We just had to bring it, and we were having a tough time. And I forgot about that. But so it was more so like what's going through my head. It was like what all these hard work and this motherfucker. In a, in, in a, looking back now, he meant well. Of so course. He, he was trying to do right, but he lost sight of what we were there for. What we were there for was not to save the animals. Let's, let's reach maybe a thousand of these, you know, 15,000 kids. Hopefully they'll like us. And then maybe we, should, we can talk about that in a song. Right, right. That, that's the right way to do it. 
but he was all passion and, you yeah. know, and he, and that's how he, he reacted. One time we played at a place in Vegas and the, the guys in Chili Peppers reach out and they, they're coming down to see us. Danny was, we were all psyched, but Danny's super psyched. Bobby, um, spent, he, he comes back from the bar before sound check and Evan, who was straight and sober, couldn't, didn't, couldn't be near alcohol. Could like, if he kissed a girl that was like the dip blow and he would get a freeze. He freaked the fuck out, would send him off into these panic attacks. So Bobby came and sang in his mic, talks, sings in Evan's mic. So we would switch mics a lot. Right. Right. He, Evan goes back in the mic, sings, and then breathes in. And I think it was at an era where because of like grounding issues, we had those, those foam things on the mics. Yeah. And he sucked in like Bobby's spit with alcohol. Evan freaked the fuck out, called Bobby out. Don't fucking sing on my microphone, motherfucker. I just sucked in alcohol. And to Evan, it was a big, it was a trigger. But to Bobby, to have him be, you know, Evan dissed him in front of, it was a sound check. Right. So that set it off. They get big fight backstage. We it, that, that whole energy carries on stage. Sold out crowd at the hundreds. It was like this theater. That, the hundreds, yeah. Remember that? Mm-hmm. It, they, the ceiling collapsed like soon after that, but Chili Peppers are on stage, on the side of the stage watching us. And we're all like, we're in band crisis mode. Like, we're just trying to get to a show. When, when, Bobby, what, era, what era is this? Like, what album are you touring on? It was it was pro- probably after the Slayer tour. So it was still, still Bobby, that world. was the last, yeah, State of the World Address. So Bobby, um, so he so he has a freak out on stage. He's p- still pissed off because of the beef with him and Evan. We're just trying to get through the show. And it was a soul, it was awesome show, but Bobby starts fucking freaking out about his sound. He starts fighting with his tech. And when you're, you know, when you're inebriated, your high end starts to go. It goes anyways during the show, right, especially right. if you're not wearing earplugs. But he's drunk and he starts fucking yelling at his tech. He starts kicking his amps over and he trashes everything and then smashes guitar and walks off stage. And we're like, what the fuck? Because the rants that you saw, those things, you know, it was occasional. We would squash it backstage. We would all repair what kind of damage it was in, internally and move forward, look past it. Right. But it got, it took its toll. And and I think when eventually when I quit, that's, it was all the culmination of all that bullshit. Because I'm like, to me, I'll never forget this. The first punk rock band I ever played with, I told the guys, listen, they, they, want, they wanted to break the band up. And I was like, are you kidding me? We're going to play CBGBs. They're like, no way. I'm like, Watch me, motherfuckers. Stick with me. We'll play. And that was my goal. We'll play CBGBs. Yeah. And we did. I did with Biohazard. And so I was, I, I was always the driving force. I, I was, I would, no matter ups or downs, I was the guy who kind of just riled the troops and like, yo, let's stick it together. Solve it out. Danny was a dude who would solve it. He was like the middle guy that would be like, listen, Billy, you're fucking super extreme and, and short fuse. Bobby, you're super passionate. Evan, you're doing your thing. Let's meet here in the middle. Compromise sucks at art. I don't like that, you know. But Danny kept it together. I, I've always given him that credit. Yeah. But when I split and quit from Biohazard, it was a culmination of all that bullshit. And Bobby said to me, he said, um, we saw him at, we ironically, went, went to see Kiss. And we had this kid, Das, um, play guitar for us. He's from Helmet. So we're going to, we're walking up to Kiss. We're in 42nd Street by the garden and we bump into Bobby and 
And Evan freaked, you know, I just didn't want to deal with it and fucking pretty much kind of just walked away or ran away. But Danny and I stay there and, and this kid, um, Rob, who was playing guitar for us, Doss, his nickname was, kind of stood behind and Bobby's like, fuck you, you think you can play my leads? It was pretty heated. But he's like, Billy, you guys fucking threw the wrong guy out. And I'm like, we didn't throw you out. I, it wasn't the time for him to hear this, but he said to me, Evan is the dude. He will destroy fucking biohazard. It wasn't me. I got a drinking problem. He was partly right, but Evan went on. And when Evan got big in porn, it was like, I love porn. We all, everybody, I'm not approved. We porn all watch porn, porn. Right. But it was like everyone I knew, I'd say 99% of the people that I ever met in porn had fucked up childhood shit that had traumatic experiences that they couldn't get over. I, we all had fucked crazy times in our life, but we found a way to deal with them and turn those wounds into wisdom and, and, and rise above it. Evan, um, to me, porn for me personally, kind of, it stood against that survival, that overcoming that, that rise above vibe survival of the fittest that biohazard stood for. And, and slowly Evan's, passion for biohazard diminished over the years and he slowly chipped away at it. Like a lot of people that kind of like liked us and respected us lost some respect, I think. And, and for me, and this is just my opinion, I think a lot had to do with because it was a pantomime for me. He did it for a different reason. He liked the attention and he's, he'll, he'll be the first one to admit it. He got more interested in the things that biohazard brought into his life than biohazard. And you kept it real all this time. You still do it. And that's why you're still successful. Evan, it, it chipped away. And I, I, I never forgot what Bobby said to me. And he was right. And, and looking back now, and, and the show is no regrets. If we would had to kind of re come back to full circle with, with, when we split with Bobby, when I quit, if we would have continued as a new band, we would have had momentum as biohazard. We would have started something different. And the, 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 the reputation and the legacy that we built up to that point never would have faltered. It would have just stayed. Yeah, they blew up. That's rock and roll. That shit happens. And we would have maybe had a successful career or equal career with biohazard. Who knows? But it would have been a different thing. And I always wondered what would have happened. But shoulda, coulda, woulda. It is what it is. We're here today talking about my solo records. Yeah. I, I mean, it's wild to think how uh, you guys were huge, man. Like you guys were huge. fucking huge. I think we here. And it was, I mean, it was fucking crazy how big you guys got, you know, like I, here's the thing, bro. I, awesome. I'm a, I have a big ego. We all do. The first thing we do is piss in the morning. We all get egos, but I'm a, I'm, I'm probably next to Danny. I'm the homeless dude in the band. Danny's a very humble guy. Yep. But I think what happened with us, we hit it with something different and the media, especially MTV grabbed onto us. And I think the, the, the hardcore followers and, and the fans that, that we made and the friends that we made with biohazard suddenly were rubbing elbows with people who didn't understand biohazard. They liked us because MTV said we were the cool band. Right. That right. made us huge on the, on the covers and, 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 and kind of like, in the scheme of things, but the, the devoted loyal fans that you have, that Slayer has, that Pantera had, we suddenly lost a lot of that core 
So when, when we were no longer the cool band anymore, we didn't have a strong foundation to fall back on. So the bottom fell out real quick, which is probably why Evan started to move on to different things. So I don't fault him for that. And and I I only wish him well, and same thing with Bobby, but um, I, I wanted, I held on to Biohazard for so long, bro. And it was like, I thought we would be around forever. And, and it didn't matter to me that we weren't playing in front of 5,000 people, that we were only playing 500 people. And then there were shows when there was 50 people. It didn't matter. I still played in front of them like they were 50,000. Right. It was the same. It never changed. So people like when they say, what's it like to start a new band? I'm, it's the same as when I started when I was fucking 19. I loved, I had the same passion. I didn't start to make money. I didn't start to be popular. I just have this burning fire inside to express myself how I want to express myself. So I'm going to do it with biohazard with Billy bio or power flow or whatever else I got going on. It's just music. That's all that we create, you know? Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome, man. Yeah. I mean, I, I sit there and you know, I'm, I'm super happy that you're still making music. I'm really happy for you. And, you know, it sounds like, you know, shit's going great in your life. And I'm just happy that you're still out there doing it because you're one of the best to ever do it. You know, like I still, you know, you know how much biohazard means to me, you know, like I, we, I always said, you know, back in the day, we were the West coast biohazard, (laughs) you know, like that's what we wanted. We like, we wanted to, like, we wanted to be you guys so bad. Like you just, we thought you guys were fucking like hardcore rock stars, you know, like that's what you were to us. You guys had, to me, Bobby was always like the slash of hardcore. You know what I mean? Like he was just the coolest mother. I was like, this is the coolest motherfucker I've ever seen on stage. Like fucking that's it. Like, you know, and, and all, but all of you guys, you know, like it was such a fucking crazy intense show and like your stage presence was such a huge influence on, you know, how we presented ourselves like during a show and like, we've got to fucking bring it and go fucking crazy. And, and, uh, and, you know, like I just, I think, I think in so many ways too, like, I just feel like, you know, biohazard doesn't get the respect that it deserves for the influence that you guys have had. I mean, there. You know, it it sounds very cliche to say, oh, they're one of the first to put rap and hardcore, rap and metal together. But like nobody was fucking doing this. You know, the the style that you guys brought in that influenced so many fucking bands. I don't even know if bands realize that they're stealing from Biohazard when they're stealing from Biohazard. You know, it's like I hear it and I'm like, yeah, maybe you think it's so and so, but it's actually Biohazard that you're stealing that from, you know. They just stole it from Biohazard, and uh, that's cool. You know, I no, I still gotta, you know. Yeah, I, still, I mean, that, like, pay my bills. Let me, let me just blow you up. <laughs> you know, like, I just, I, I'm, I just, you're like, go go, and I'm like, no, I'm I'm cool. I never talk myself down. I'm never. Yeah. I'm, I'm I'm I feel good about myself. I'm I'm in a good place, but it, it's nice to hear these yeah. compliments. I mean, it it really was, and you know, it's a, undeniable influence on us without. You know, I can easily say without Biohazard, there would be, you know, M- Machine Head would have sounded a lot different. You know, you, it was just such a, you know, you came along at a time in our lives and just meeting you guys and like being around your energy and being around like, you know, like it, it, it really like, it had a huge effect on us, man. Like it really did have a huge effect on us, like in this very positive way. You know, I even think about, you know, I was talking with my buddy Tom last night. 
you know, I was just telling him stories. I'm, I never got around to the, how you used to shit into a solo cup and then stick it on, on the table and catering during the Slayer tour, <laughs> which was still one of my favorite fucking Billy memories in the history of the fucking world. <laughs> But about that. I was telling him how you like, like you're, you gave me the first vocal lessons I ever had in my life. Like you gave me a cassette of you going to Don Lawrence. Don Lawrence. I started losing my, you know, I was having trouble with my throat and I was losing my yeah. heavy voice. And, uh, you know, we'd sit in the back of the fucking lounge and you'd like, you know, with the guitar and you'd like do the warm up with me. And I was just like, it was just, it was so foreign to me to be doing a vocal warm up with another band member. I was like, this is weird. But, you know, looking back, I'm so grateful that you did that you know like it really dude like fucking changed my fucking like you know it allowed me to sing for the rest of my fucking life like those little things along the way so like when i say the impact that you had on our life it really was like a genuinely you know massive impact and so let me ask you a question and now that we're on camera so if we ever get biohazard together is it a possibility that we can play together i think if we're if we're not doing evening <laughs> with I'm I, would say, I would say fuck yes. It's all good. It's all good. You know, so, I mean, the, I love touring with you when we did the Australia stuff, when you had the other guys singing and, you know, that, Bobby that was sober great. and like, that was fucking yeah. amazing, dude. Like yeah, that was, that was so, a good run. They don't do that anymore. That's canceled. That yeah. Story. Yeah. Um, I, did I you, say the one last thing though, like but just back to that, how you, uh, in another way that you inspired me. So let me go back to the, the, pooping into a solo cup thing because i gotta say i I remember watching you do that we're on the slayer tour let me set this up we're on the slayer tour and bobby's like or billy you were like let me uh you know let me let me show you something i'm gonna do something you like grab a solo cup pull down your pants standing straight up poop into a solo cup like just stick it behind your butt and i was just like holy shit how the fuck i was so like this dude's the best dude this is my spirit animal right here like i need to figure out how to do this i'd never been able to you went and take a couple of carrots and you stick it right in there and you stick a napkin on top of it again. <laughs> Uh, and like we just sat there in catering, just waiting for people like you and me, just watching people kind of like peruse the catering table, and like lift up, like, oh, what the fuck is this? And like, I, I've done that so many times. I forgot <laughs> about that dark, dirty fucking Gigi Allen part of my person. That's the <laughs> punk rock side, that 100% punk rock. Um, but because I, I used to do the same thing, um, I would put tortilla chips. And people would think if I was on in Japan once and I had. I was sick, so I took a bunch of antibiotics to turn my shit green. And I remember it looked like guacamole, so I put chips in there. People, <laughs> nobody ate. I would never let anybody eat it, but I was like, no, 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 don't, whatever. Right, right. But I forgot about that dirty, it, wow. So then, so then you dare me to do it and I go and try to do it. Like, I'm like, okay, I'll fucking just shit right into a solo cup. Like the next time I have to take a shit and I couldn't, I, at some point I became so like determined, like I, like Billy did it. I can fucking do it. Like I'm going to do, and I couldn't ever fucking do it. I tried stay. So finally I like just, okay, I'm going to get a plate and I'm going to squat on it and take a poop onto the plate and then go and put some carrots in it and cover it with a napkin. So that became our entertainment for the entire Slayer tour like, that we were doing. We would just sit in catering and wait for people to just get completely disgusted by the poop we left on the catering table. Uh, good times. Crazy memories, dude. That So are you interested in where that ended up going with Slayer? Yes. No, please do tell. We um, we were on tour. That, that whole tour, We you guys bonded with Slayer well. We, but we carry... 
we always would invite them out to parties, right? And they were just more interested in going to TGIF. Right. And we did a couple of tours with them, but, and they had not at the time, I was like, you're a fucking Slayer. Where's the Ragers? But they did it already. They had already been there. They were over it. Yeah. And we were in that phase of our careers. So we were just raging wherever we went. Um, so we kept trying to break the ice, trying to get them. And Carrie and I always seemed to just, it just never hit it off. Just, you know, Jeff and I got along. Tom and I were great. Paul was great. Um, Dave was great when he's around, but I remember, um, one night we were in Australia, we walk on the tour on the, on the plane. Cause you fly for those who don't know, you stay in Sydney and you fly, you satellite out and you fly to every city right. you're so far away. So we get in the plane and Bobby and I, um, we walked past Kerry King and Kerry said to me, you guys are in the back. He makes us look, you're in the back with the cattle. And I'm like, Oh yeah. And I'm like, I look at Bobby like, yo. And we sit down right next to him. And I'm like, how much you pay for your seat? And he's like, what are you doing? Your seats are back there. I'm like, no, they're not. They're right here, motherfucker. And we stayed there. I fall asleep because you don't sleep on tour, right? Especially in Australia. Right. I fall asleep. I wake up and somebody's hitting the back of my head. And it's Bobby. He's in the, we had sky bunks. First class. It wasn't really, it was business class. So they weren't cool right. chairs. Yeah. But it was still, you know, we had our own row. Bobby wakes me up and he's arguing with the stewardess. And I'm like, yo, what's, what's the problem? And he's like, she's, uh, she won't let me eat. She goes, sir, this is not your seat. What, let me see your ticket. And, and so she hands him a ticket she, and she's like 45. This is row four. And he's like, oh, this is not 45. <laughs> Bullshit. So we got busted. We walked by Carrie and Carrie makes this fucking face. Like, like he, he added us out. So I'm like, motherfucker, he fucking ratted us out. Not a big deal. It's stupid shit. So I go back. I sit down. I kick the fucking the throw up bag. Right. I go in the toilet. I shit in the bag. I roll it up. I wait for the flight to almost land. I go up and Carrie's sitting next to Paul Boost Bostaff. I put the bag. They're both asleep. Paul tells me the story later. I put the bag between them. Paul said, "We woke up and I see this bag." And Carrie's like, "What is that? Yours? What the fuck is that?" And Paul's like, "It's not mine." So Carrie grabs it, opens it up. <laughs> almost throws up he knew he knew it was me right this this whole thing goes back and i'm trying to wind this guy up the whole fucking tour this the last night of the tour and i we got i'm sure the time's coming short just tell me when we gotta leave yeah. um he carries um we invite this kid on stage in willagong the kid comes up naked covers himself and shit oh my god <laughs> it was horrible but Tiny was like, I'm like, while you're playing, this is why you're playing. Yeah. <laughs> oh shit. So he knocks on Slayer's door. This kid who's a guest of ours, covered in shit, naked, drunk out of his mind. They freak out. They try to kick us off tour. And we're like, how are you going to kick us off tour? You're some of the things you guys sing about. Come on. This kid's drunk. It's not us. And they, it was, it was pretty ill. It took us a long time to, to kind of rebuild our friendship with them. But eventually we were on tour in Europe with them. It was supposed to be, Tattoo the planet with Pantera, who didn't couldn't do the tour after September 11th. Right. But Carrie and Jeff, they grab our acoustic guitars, we're drunk out of our minds, sitting on the tour bus. We got videos, whatever, hanging out. We're all playing Slayer songs on acoustic guitar. You know those dudes. Nice. They were fucking awesome. And, and Jeff, rest in peace. But uh, that's how the, the shit stories turned out with Slayer. <laughs> Carrie probably still hates me, but. It's a funny story. That's a fucking great story. I, I've heard bits and pieces of that, but that's fucking awesome to hear the whole thing, man. It's, there's a version of that on VH1 behind the scenes, like most rock and roll moments. 
And the way they tell it, they're like, yeah, something about one of the guys in Biohazard covering himself with shit on stage. Oh, they said that you guys did it. Oh, okay. Good. Yeah, they don't, because they're confusing the story. They don't have all the details. What I explain is what happened, but the way they tell it is pretty funny because I still meet people like that don't know you know, music or, or whatever. And they're like, what do you do? I'm like, I'm a musician. What band? Biohazard. Never heard of you guys. Wait, I saw you guys on VH1. Didn't one of you guys cover yourself with shit? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> like oh, how do you say no to that? It's on TV. It must be true. <laughs> anyway, brother, I uh, I got to get running here. All right, brother. Good way to end the story. It, it, it was perfect. It was a fucking perfect way. <laughs> I really, uh, I really enjoyed this, man. And I really enjoyed catching up with you. You too, brother. I, I appreciate it. Forever. Thank you for having me, bud. Give, give, give your new album one more plug. If you got any tours, one more plug. Yep. Everything's uh, Billy Biohazard everywhere. Social media. Um, reach out to me like you. I, I, it's, I talk directly with you guys. It's not some intern out of management company, but the, uh, the record's called Leaders and Liars. It's on all your streaming networks. Um, I, I have another tour starting in August. That's Hopefully that'll happen. We've had two tours canceled. I'm optimistically looking forward to getting back on the tour. It's been two years, almost three years now. I can't wait to be on stage. And uh, that's it. Thanks for your help, bud. Awesome. Ladies and gentlemen, right there, the mighty, mighty Billy Grazia Day, Biohazard, Billy Bio Power Flow. With Rob Flynn. Yeah. <laughs>